T.E. Lawrence, eponymously of Arabia, but very much an Englishman, favored pinching a burning match between his fingers to put it out. When asked by his colleague, William Potter, to reveal his trick, how is it he so effectively extinguished the flame without hurting himself whatsoever, Lawrence just smiled and said, the trick, Potter, is not minding it hurts. <laughs> the fire that danced at the end of that match was a gift from the Titan Prometheus, a gift that he stole from the gods when Prometheus was caught and brought to justice for his theft. The gods, well, you might say they overreacted a little. The poor man was tied to a rock as an eagle ripped through his belly and ate his liver over and over, day after day, ad infinitum. All because he gave us fire, our first true piece of technology, fire. 100,000 BC, stone tools, 4,000 BC, the wheel, 9th century AD, gunpowder. Bit of a game changer, that one. 19th century, Eureka, the light bulb. 20th century, the automobile, television, nuclear weapons, spacecraft, internet. 21st century, biotech, nanotech, fusion and fission and M theory. And that was just the first decade. We are now three months into the year of our Lord, 2023. At this moment in our civilization, we can create cybernetic individuals who, in just a few short years, will be completely indistinguishable from us. Which leads to an obvious conclusion. We are the gods now. For those of you who know me, you will be aware by now that my ambition is unlimited. You know that I will settle for nothing short of greatness, or I will die trying. For those of you who do not yet know me, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Peter Wayland, and if you'll indulge me, I'd like to change the world. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith, who is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, <laughs> and it's like far too early in the morning for him on the West Coast, but how are we, how are we feeling, Jerry? Dude, I am so good. What sucks is like I set my alarm and it didn't go off and I just happened to wake up about 10 minutes before we were supposed to record. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a second. And so I had to jump up, get dressed and everything else. But this episode is the one that I've been waiting to do the entire Alien series that we've mm -hmm. been doing. Because I mean, from a listener's perspective, it's easy to get on board with people talking about Alien and Aliens and you know, the, the 10 of us that like Alien 3. Woo. You know that that one, and any Space Jam fans that like Resurrection, mm -hmm. uh, but 
Prometheus is a movie that I have loved from the very first time I sat in the theater and watched it. Like, it has a lot of holes in it, yes, but I do not give a shit. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, so I am so excited to do this one. Excellent. Yeah, I, you know, what's really fun going back and watching all of these movies in close proximity is like reevaluating and reappreciating them and. I found, like, I really liked this movie when I started in theaters. I felt like every single, every single frame of film could have been, like, basically posterized. You could just, like, blow it up and, like, frame it, put it on your wall. Um, And I liked that it was asking a lot of, like, um, big philosophical questions, but there were parts of it that left me cold. And then going back a couple years later and watching it and then watching it for the show, there is just so much more meat on this bone to discuss than any of the other movies aside from maybe the first one that I think what we do are it's moved way up in my rankings to like really maybe just behind the first movie overall and I find like it's a better companion piece to watch with Alien than mm-hmm. Cameron's movie Aliens but oh hell yeah big that movie a flaming hot take oh my god Woo! super I love hot it. take yeah. <laughs> we are oh my god okay Look, we're, it's 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 hot outside. It's summertime. It's like ninety degrees outside. So we gotta. I'm half asleep. Let's go for hot, it. <laughs> the hot takes. The hot takes have to keep up with the heat outside. So, um, yeah, I am not super high on aliens overall. It's the one thing that I'm like, from re rewatching the series, like I. It, that's not to say like I don't love the movie. Like there's really not a bad movie in the the six films we're covering overall. But you know, like I definitely give side eye to anyone that's like Alien or Aliens. What do you got? It's like to me, it's like you know Porterhouse Steak or Five Guys Burger. What do you got? Like oh they're not in God. the same. <laughs> they're not in the same league at that point. But um, as you can tell, like a giant movie to discuss you know, warrants giant guests. So we have returning once again, I'm back after um, joining us for the first time in on our alien episode, we have from Dread Central, uh, Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are we doing? Hi, good. How are you? Doing <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm really excited. It's very rare to be in the company of um, other Prometheus fans. So mm-hmm. this is very exciting for me. So I'm hyped. So do you find there's more Prometheus hate? Um, yeah, I don't think that it's universally liked. I I spend a lot of time defending it, or not so much defending it as just being like, it's okay, not everyone understands cinema. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's so great. I was really surprised at how... Um, how much fans didn't really latch to it. I thought like there are a couple movies that I can remember where like I saw them in theaters and I was like, Oh man, this was incredible. And then the feedback wasn't great. And I was like, what did I, like, what is happening? Like, what did people not get? And I think Prometheus, it just, I think what it does is it appeals to a very, very specific subset of alien fandom. Like the types of us who want to figure out the connection between Tyrell and Wayland, mm-hmm. um, which is a very like specific group maybe. So I don't think that it appealed to, like, just general alien fandom. And, uh, yeah, so I'm always just like, listen, I don't have time to explain to you why it's the perfect movie, but it's unfortunate that you'll never understand because it's so great. See, I had, I had somebody actually give me shit at a grocery store over Prometheus <gasps> when it came out. Because, like, 
about a week before the movie came out, I won a t-shirt from Fox for a Prometheus t-shirt. And I used to wear that. I used to wear that thing like just every single, not every single day. That'd be disgusting, but you get the point. And I wore it to a grocery store about like, I don't know, like a month after it came out. And there was like someone who obviously was, you know, fan of the series and stuff. And they just looked at it pointing and was like, what the fuck? It's just like, what? Like, <laughs> what? no, for real. This is like, whoa, you, you guys really don't like this movie. That's yeah. an extreme reaction to have. Um, we are also joined today by uh, our first time appearance on the show. We have Danielle Ryan from birth movie stats slash film diabolique um and a number of other places like danielle how are you doing today i'm doing great i'm psyched to be here uh like Lindsay said it's always good to uh talk to other prometheus fans and more so than that uh alien 3 and prometheus are my two favorites so i'm extra extra spicy mm-hmm. and controversial oh my god Jeez. the spice the spice of this chat. I'm hyped. <laughs> it's hot already. Mm-hmm. It is hot already. So um, we'll start here. Like whenever we have like a first timer on Danielle, we'd love to know like what it is in particular that got the person into this series overall and then this particular title. Um, and I think like we stumbled upon, I think you were just like defending the movie on Twitter. Uh, like one random evening, like talking about how much you enjoyed Prometheus and we're like hey you know we need more guests for the show why don't you come on yeah I I love Prometheus um I got into Alien the Alien series my husband actually introduced me to the movies uh early in our relationship because there were a lot of 80s uh horror and sci-fi I'd kind of missed because my my parents didn't like horror didn't really allow it in the house so I had to Mm -hmm. sneak it and uh so yeah that's what helped me fall in love with the series I saw the first two and then Prometheus came out shortly after that. And I saw Prometheus. I was like, wait, 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 what is this? This is my kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I love the whole series, but I like the ones that are a little headier, a little right. bit more uh, weird. A little more philosophical overall. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, my, my intro to sci-fi was Blade Runner. So. <laughs> okay. So right into the deep end, basically. Yeah, let me, let me, and it was director's cut. Let me just jump into the director's cut at 12. Oh, wow. Okay. Beautiful. I, you know what? I think I've seen Blade Runner one time in my whole life. Oh my Lord. Oh my God. My whole body is screaming. (laughs) And to be really honest, it left me, you know, at the sake of like everybody hanging up at the car right now, it left me cold. Oh, dude, my, my wife is not a fan of that movie whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of probably my 10 favorite films of all time. So, I mean, I get it. I have a question, Michael. When did you first see it? Like, how old were you? Or like, what? not how old, like how recently did you see it? God, it had to be close to a decade ago. Okay. At this point, like mid thirties. Okay. I think, I don't know. My whole thing with Blade Runner, like I love it. I saw it a long time ago. I like that type of heady sci-fi. I like cyberpunk. So like I was all in, but I know a few people who've watched it like in the past five, even 10 years that were kind of like, I don't get this at all. And I don't know if it's like something about the like dark, like it's really dark. And I don't mean like in tone, like it is literally dark when you watch it. And I think it's like kind of dark and a little bit like doesn't keep up with the way sci-fi comes out now and i think a lot of people who saw it recently for the first time don't like it mm-hmm. i don't know i've just like seen that like my friend one of my friends who's like the only person i know who likes alien and the franchise more than me 
watch Blade Runner maybe three, four years ago, and he was like, look, I'm sorry, like, I don't get it. And I was like, how can you like the Alien movies and not like Blade Runner? And I think it just like doesn't fit with what we want in new sci-fi. So if you don't have that like emotional connection to it from the first few times, you're kind of like, I don't get why people like this. Right. I think, that, I don't know. That- that and you're just wrong. I mean, yeah, yeah mostly that possibly. you're just wrong. <laughs> Look, I'm, 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 I'm wrong about a great many things. I'm, I'm okay with being wrong about some. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and I think people who really like Blade Runner are the same kinds of folks who really like Prometheus. Like, it's all dealing with a lot of the same really heady stuff, and sometimes the pacing gets caught up in that. True. Mm-hmm. Big time with Blade Runner. I know the pacing is abysmal. Yeah, I just, I, mean, I, just, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I just, I just hate life. So I like my my sci-fi and my horror like very existential. But oddly right. enough, I really liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, I so liked it. Actually, I haven't seen it. It's don't really good. I don't want to see it. It's just one of those movies like I know I'm not going to like it, and I don't want to do it to myself. Mm-hmm. See, I thought that too, but then I watched it, and I was like damn uh, like yeah. that is good it's a good movie it's really I, good i was very pleasantly surprised i don't want to see it i don't want to know the answer to this like i'm sure that i could find it in a google search and like i don't care if it's spoiled for me but like i just like think that there's something i don't know i'm a purist and so i'm not like don't make a sequel it's just like i'm just probably not gonna see it i'm not like one of those like don't do it you're ruining my franchise mm-hmm. but i'm still not gonna go see it um like, I like that people still can't figure out the whole Deckard situation, whether or not he's a replicant. And I was like, I don't want any more media to either confirm or deny it. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to know. And so I don't want to see your dumb sequel. So I didn't see it, but I'm sure it's great. And I'm glad that you guys liked it. And I mean that genuinely, not facetiously. Fair enough. <laughs> so back to Prometheus. Now we'll get to the movie. Now that we've gone on a Blade Runner tangent. It's just now we feel like a, a massive tangent here, <laughs> 10 minutes 10 minutes into the show we're like way off the boat so folks, like you definitely if you if you haven't figured it out already this is probably going to be a massive episode so you may want to pack a lunch you may want to like stretch the legs out go somewhere that's fairly comfortable right now because you know last week we pretty much wrapped up in under an hour which is rare for <laughs> us anyway um but you know it just got to the point where we're like yeah we've got really nothing else to say about resurrection but this feels like one of those is this going to be cut up into two episode um type of type of discussions right here so yeah i I don't think this episode is going to revolve around ripley and her basketball so so actually what we i will add there was a question posed this week on twitter that i found interesting snake plissken versus ripley and alien resurrection on the basketball court who do you got and yeah, go on. I can't see Snake Plissken scoring a basket, let alone <laughs> it, being, it being close. But I will pose that question to the panelists. You know, I'll probably I'll probably get crucified for this, probably. but I think Snake Plissken's kind of a dummy. Like I, I like the movies a lot, mm-hmm. but he's he's kind of a numbskull, oh, and I I think Ripley would hand him his ass. Yeah, Ripley playing basketball is like a whole thing. Like I th- like there's no just cuz he's good at stuff doesn't mean he's going to be as good at basketball as amazing Ripley at basketball. Like there's just I don't I think it's like a crazy question. I think it's Rip for sure. Fair enough. Danielle's left the call. Danielle's like, <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm, this, this is a stupid conversation. All I could think was like the only way Snake could win is if Steve Buscemi like helps him. Fair enough. 
So Prometheus is a film that asks many philosophical questions as well. Um, the genesis for this movie, um, Ridley Scott had the idea for it basically as far back as, as the release of Aliens in the mid 80s. He kept returning to this idea of like, why is no one asking about the space jockey? Why is nobody asking who would create the xenomorphs? Where do they come from? Um, and what would be the mindset of the kind of creature that would want to create something like the xenomorphs overall? And he says in an, in an interview in Time Out around the time of Prometheus coming out, it's like, why is no one asking, like, who is the big guy in the chair? So he had an idea for a prequel to Alien, kicking back really for decades right now that would evolve the franchise a bit, but he wanted to really explore where these creatures came from and who would be responsible for creating them. So here's my question um, for you, Lindsay, because it's something you said when we did the first show. You had mentioned that when you watch a franchise and you watch the first movie in a franchise, you appreciate that movie in a couple different ways. First, you know, as a standalone movie, like this is the movie of itself. Here's the beginning, the middle, the end of this story. Mm -hmm. But then when you go back and you watch all of the other movies in that series and then go back and rewatch the first movie you have like a different understanding or appreciation of the first film as a, as a whole so I'm, I'm kind of interested like when you go back and watch all the aliens movies how does that add to your understanding of the first movie but specifically with prometheus like what did it add you know what did it, does it add to the first film aside from like we were talking off the air the ability to make some really cool timeline charts yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good question. I'm excited to answer this. So yeah, I, I do tend to do that. Like I think the example, we, the examples are always in like slashers. Like I always talk about how Halloween as one movie is so great, but then the Halloween franchise is a whole other thing. And so you can watch Halloween, the first one, a couple different ways. And I definitely feel that way about Alien. I think Prometheus is really cool because there are a lot of questions, although I'm kind of backtracking in the thing that I was like, I don't want these questions answered in Blade Runner. Um, I'm saying the opposite about the Alien franchise. There are a lot of questions that Alien asks and we talked about them uh, in that episode. You know, there's things like mentioned of Tyrell Corp. There's things like, you know, why was an Nostromo, why did they pick up that signal? You know, why was Ash there? Was this always the plan? And there's questions like, that, that you kind of just think like, who maybe, you know, Wayland just really is this evil corporation and this was all part of the plan. And it, you know, that's really driven home in aliens, I think. And so what Prometheus does is really set us up to learn about, you know, what Wayland was and why the Prometheus, or sorry, why the Nostromo was sent on the little uh, expedition they were sent on. And I think it's really cool. I think Prometheus is really bold that it tries to answer questions about like life itself and the entire universe. So it definitely, uh, really goes for it but I think it's pretty neat to fathom a world where like the xenomorph was not a mistake mm-hmm. um and yeah I think uh I mean I'm sure we're gonna get into it <laughs> a lot but I think Prometheus adds so so much I think I don't like what we learned about Wayland I wanted to learn more about it but I don't think it was done super super well I think that might be my only beef is that Wayland was just kind of like a cartoon CEO. Um, but uh, I do think it was cool to learn a bit more about what type of company would be sending this vessel into space uh, for Ilian and, and exactly what happened and what went wrong. And I think it really lends to the whole allegory of Alien really being about, you know, the plight of the blue collar worker uh, and the expense of them. 
um, for the large corporation. Um, and I think that there's a really great opportunity to drive those themes home. And I think this does a good job of that. Mm -hmm. I find it like really intriguing because it's really rare that you see the person who's responsible for creating this universe mm -hmm. getting to go back and play in that sandbox again years later. I mean, usually you have these franchises where let's take a Nightmare on Elm Street, which is like a very, you know, Wes Craven creates this character of Freddy Krueger. And then over the course of five other movies, everybody has a different take on what that character is until he comes back, you know, a decade later with a new nightmare and says, all of these other takes are shit. Um, this is how the, <laughs> this is how the creature should be. And oddly enough, I have like that last in my list of uh, Elm Street movies aside from the remake. Um, so it's rare that you get to see someone come back. Like the only examples I can think of are like the Matrix with the uh, Wachowski sisters coming back, or at least Lana coming back to do um, a new Matrix movie, or the Star Wars. Um, first six movies that are done by Lucas overall, it's really rare that you have this one creative person shepherding these movies from start to finish. I mean, after the first Halloween movie, you know, John Carpenter wrote Halloween too, but he admits that like it was a paycheck job for him. It wasn't like, hey, I'm really looking forward to diving deep into the site of Mike Michael Myers. He's like, hey, I'm looking forward to buying like a bitch a new Camaro with the check. <laughs> <laughs> Who is yeah, it? Is it uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? Or they were like, is it Jamie Lee? Or now I'm thinking it might have been Sigourney Weaver with Alien. It was Sigourney Weaver where there, she said something about how she was, they were like, how did they get you to be an Alien 4? And she was like, they drove a dump truck of money to my house. Yeah. <laughs> Which, God love her. I mean, like, I love Bless that. Bless her. Yeah. yeah. Get paid, girl. Well, I, 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 think, I think that's one of the 45 million things I loved about Blade Runner 2049 is that, yeah, Villanueva directed it, but like Ridley Scott was so hands-on with... with you know, seeing it from start to finish, you know, mm -hmm. he was very much in charge of everything. So I think having that kind of original voice on something later down the road is really great. And with Prometheus, like you said, it's so rare that somebody would come back to that kind of the sandbox, you know, something that they did and, you know, offer up all these crazy ideas and like philosophical statements. Like, I, I love it. Yeah. To me, the closest, like, analog to this would be like george miller coming back and doing fury road all those years yes, later of course that's a great idea example absolutely yeah so good and yeah yeah sorry it's, Go on. you know it's and you're getting like these two gentlemen that are in their 70s like they're not young bucks anymore coming back and like delivering these massive statement sci-fi movies like years later it is really interesting to see that happen and also, one of my, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it's also interesting, especially like this came out in, I think, 2012, which was really like near the beginning of sequel spinoffs and prequels just becoming massive. And I remember not long ago when uh, there was some chatter about, um, okay, we're going to do a Boba Fett spinoff and we're going to do whatever. And I was kind of like, you know, sometimes leaving things out is craft, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not even super into Lost, but I'm just thinking of Lindelof as an example. I listened to Lindelof talk about how 
you know, he rewrote the beginning of Lost because he was like, I don't need to see a plane crash. That's boring. He was like, I just need to see people lost in the woods with mini bottles of liquor around. And you know that a plane crash happened, right? And it's like, yeah, there's craft in leaving things out and not filling in the blanks. And then, and so that's why a lot of prequels and sequels kind of get messed up. And I think people thought the same thing about Prometheus. It was like, oh, we didn't actually need these questions uh, asked or answered. But I feel like what Prometheus does is really expand the universe in a way you expect a good sequel to Mm -hmm. versus like, let's answer, like, let's talk about, you know, how they built Ash. Like, I don't care how they built Ash. I don't care about his backstory. That's a question I don't need answered. All I know is that he's a robot who works for Wayland Corp. And that's how, that's, you know, what motivates his behavior. That's all I need to know. But like, Prometheus was asking new questions and I think it's like one of the examples of like creating a prequel or a spinoff however you want to look at it where it actually like added something as opposed to just like filling in random blanks and like messing up the craft of alien exactly exactly because like there's not a lot of prequelizing in it it's not like um the best example I can think of is like solo um yeah where, where you're getting all these little like you know hints and these little um easter eggs sort of for later stories like the ai and the millennium falcon that's all prequelizing it changes the way you think of the other movies possibly in a negative way whereas with prometheus it's just kind of going hey here's some more questions here's making this world bigger and it's just it's a beautiful exercise in world building instead of trying to answer specific story questions yeah, I mean they they never need they never feel the need to turn like you know Waylon into a worm like Jason goes to hell. Jesus, <laughs> I, I will not stand by. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not about to keep going on tangents, but the thing about Jason goes to hell is that it's great, and it's, it's <laughs> so, I just it's so I just like fun. to throw that in. Jerry, no, but, uh, I walked into Prometheus wanting to hate it, not because of you know thinking that it's going to like screw up something from my childhood because I think that way of thought is so dumb but I wanted to hate it because Lindelof had screwed me hardcore before (laughs) not with Lost not with Lost but with making me wait four fucking years for him to finish Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk (laughs) I was like what are you about to say I I still have PTSD from that so you're saying see this is a case where like you ruined my childhood would apply because, like, you were no longer a child by the time he finished the series. <laughs> no. This dude, it was supposed to be a six-issue miniseries, and this won't be a tangent. Six-issue six miniseries, first two issues came out, and then out of... See, my voice is cracking up, so I'm emotional. First two issues come out, and then he's like, oh, you know what, guys? We're going to have to postpone it after two issues until I finish the scripts. And it didn't come out for another, like, four years. We're going to have a comic chat offline, because part of the worst part and there's a lot of bad parts about comic fandom but one of the worst parts about comic fandom is that like when you finally are into a great series that writer's like oh hey i just got like a 12 season deal for a netflix show and then you're like oh cool so maybe i'll finish like there's a oh god i won't get into it but the betty r.i.p the next of the afterlife with archie comic was pre-ordered like seven years ago and is still not written because of all the Riverdale shows. So I very much feel your pain. And that is just what's up. That's comic fandom in a nutshell. So yeah. But Prometheus though. Prometheus. Sorry. That was like a conversation for another day. But now it was my fault. 
now's a good no now you know it's we're getting the snyder cut and someone posted it was dick grayson that is dead in the snyder cut like i don't i can't get into that conversation or i will yell for three hours like you need hard same you never even meet dick grayson in the dc movie universe correct I don't not want to talk I can about it. Think of no. No, he's not there. And he's... it's obviously Jason Todd. And it should have just been <laughs> Jason Todd. And I know that David Bayer has completely been like, oh no, the whole time I said I didn't know. But he straight up said, yeah, it's Jason Todd. There's literally a crowbar and Joker has no <laughs> teeth in Suicide Squad. And then they're like, oh yeah, maybe it was Grayson. I don't know. Like, God, get yeah. out of here. It's awful. I don't know what it is about <laughs> wanting to kill Dick Grayson for so many years like why would anyone kill dick grayson why would you take the like most beloved character probably everyone's favorite robin and then be like oh yeah we're not gonna bring him in but like he's dead probably especially with all the chatter about maybe making a movie to bring him into the dce which we'll never get right let's be real i told you i'd get upset i warned you (laughs) you did you did mispronounce tim drake there though when it came to beloved (laughs) Robin. oh man all right and we've lost Lindsay on the call at that point. So, it's been um, really fun. Um, oh, I love I love Tim Drake. So no, but I Dick mean, Grace- listen. When I say best Robin, I mean most like common. Like he's like the quintessential Robin. I don't think he's necessarily yeah. the best one, but I feel mm-hmm. like when you think of Robin, you're thinking of Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, Hey everybody, Mike here. Want to take a brief minute or two to let our listeners know Jerry and I have just launched a Patreon page over on patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum. What does that mean for the show? It means we're going to continue to bring you a free episode every week covering every horror movie franchise, one episode and one movie at a time. That will never change. Our tiers start at $2 a month. Anyone who subscribes at that level We'll get at least one bonus episode and one blog post every month. It means we'll be able to cover movies that are normally outside of the purview of what we do, whether that be hard science fiction, whether it be one-off or non-franchise horror movies, or whether it be Jerry and I taking a deep dive into the wonderful world of punk rock that we grew up on. Along with that, we are going to have giveaways for our listeners and other swag. Again, tiers are as low as $2 a month. Why are we doing this? Well, number one, it's a way for us to keep the show going and pick up the equipment we would need in order to improve it, make it sound better, um, edit it better, and basically bring you the best possible listening experience. That also would go towards the movies that we pick up overall and also the research uh, materials that we use, such as books, documentaries, articles, anything and everything we can do to do better research and be better prepared in order to continue to bring you the deep dive into all the horror movies that you know and you love. We want to take a second and thank all of our listeners that have supported us in the past year, and we promise to keep bringing you the best in horror every single week. So if you're interested in supporting us, again, go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum, and we thank all of you for supporting the show. This is the show of tangents. I love it. Absolutely. Oh my God. Sorry. We needed to save these. Yeah. We needed to save (laughs) these conversations for when we get into like Critters 4. Like that's what we needed. You know, you need tangents to to, to fill those space. To like beef up the show. Absolutely. I remember Um, our notes for Critters 4. I think there was like five sentences. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. 
It's like, eh, it's a movie. He was Prometheus, and I'm like, let's talk about Batman, um, which I'm pretty sure I did in the Alien episode too. I'm pretty That's sure all right. about Batman for there is, three minutes. There is always, there is always room for Batman talk. There is always room for Batman. Everything talk. connects to Batman. There's <laughs> always, always. It's like the Kevin six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's just one oh degree God. of Batman. Batman versus <laughs> Aliens, the comic book series. So it's up there. Okay. <laughs> Um, so Lindelof, like this, he comes in, he's one of the writers of this movie. He comes in pretty late from what I understand. Like by the time he's brought in, um, Ridley Scott and John Spates had four or five drafts of what was then titled like Alien Origins or Aliens Paradise. Like before Lindelof, there was much more of a direct through line from this movie to the original Alien movie. And when Lindelof comes in, he reads what Spate has written and says, there's two ideas here. There's this idea of like, yup, the xenomorph is connected. But then there's this really interesting idea of like, who are these engineers? What are these other creatures? Why don't we go in this direction instead? And that's really his biggest contribution. And he says like when he wrote this script, he didn't so much write it as he sat across from Ridley Scott for about, two or three months and Scott just dictated to him like this is everything that's going into the movie at that point. That's also a very heartbreaking realization for a screenwriter, not the Lindelof stuff, but John mm-hmm. Spates. He yeah. spent so much time on the script and he, it was his first feature, you know, first produced a movie and imagine I mean, you know, it's common knowledge now, but imagine being a first-time screenwriter getting to do an Alien prequel. And it very much was. I mean, on some of the early drafts, it just straight up just said Alien prequel. You know, and he writes four or five drafts, and then out of nowhere, they're like, the studio's like, yeah, but we just want someone else to rewrite your stuff. And, you know, it's normal, but I mean, even on the making of Prometheus, which is, God, I love that documentary so much, uh, you know, even Spates talks about how much of just a huge bummer that was mm-hmm. just to have someone come in and basically redirect where the story's going. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would be fascinating, like, to actually get copies of those different drafts and fi- figure out, like, what is Lindelof's and what is Spates. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. some of that mystery box stuff, I'm like, Lindelof, I know that's you. I know that's uh, all you. Oh, yeah. Lindelof actually, I, I have... Movies. I have one of the early Spates drafts somewhere. If I could find it, I think an email or something, I could totally send it. Would oh, like yes, to read please. that. Absolutely. It's way different, yeah. Lindelof, like, I mean, I really like Lindelof. Again, I, like I said, I didn't watch through Lost, but I've like listened to everything there is about Lost in a weird way because I'm just so fascinated with him having to write that show. And he's often kind of brought in to clean and change things. And like, I don't know, man, like I know that he's got a lot of these signatures that people don't love as much as I do, but he is really good. I think at taking something that exists and saying, okay, like it, I didn't know that what you just told me about how Lindelof said, there's two things here and let's chase this. I didn't actually know that, but I've heard him talk about writing and coming in late on so many other things. And he's really good at being like, this is what you're trying to say let's get rid of this whole hour that is nothing to do with what you're trying to say. Let's just start in the middle and here's what you should fill in. And I feel like, mm-hmm. I think Oh, they, exactly. Like his Watchmen adaptation is yeah. freaking brilliant because he, he went and he looked at all the things that Alan Moore was trying to say, but was sort of ham fisted in saying because 
he's Alan Moore. And, and Lindelof was like, no, we can make this smarter and we can get these same ideas across in a way that's a lot more powerful. And I think that's what he's really good at. I think that's Lindelof working off like, cause he's only done one season of Watchmen. And as far as he said, he's on record saying like, I don't want to do any more Watchmen at this point. If someone wants to pick it up after this, that's great. Same thing with the leftovers where the first season's pretty much a straight adaptation of Tom Parada's novel. And for people that are into misery porn, like <laughs> the first season of The Leftovers is definitely your bag. Like that is the most bleak hour of television you'd have spent every week watching that. I am there. You would <laughs> love the first season. But then he expands on the, like it basically goes in directions and one would never imagine the sh- uh, book going in later on and he gave himself two more seasons and said that's it like we have a very distinct endpoint and this is where and he absolutely nails it and i think it's almost it's almost jarring watching someone who wrote the finale for lost and then the wrote the finale for the leftovers and seeing, seeing it's the same person you almost can't fathom it at this point like listen have, to like sorry finish your story no fear please I was going to say, listen to, like, any, like, post-mortem interview of Lindelof talking about loss, and it sounds like it sucked for him. And, like, I'm not being, like, oh, poor Lindelof got, like, a 12-season, you know, writing deal. I don't mean that at all. But, like, you can, and and he doesn't lament it that way, but, like, he talks about how he was, like, yeah, like, we had this, you know, he came in, it wasn't his idea. He came in, changed the direction of it a bit, came in with his ideas, made a few major contributions and then he was like and then years later they're like yeah can you do like another 10 episode season and he's like no but I guess and they're like actually like he finishes writing it and they're like can you make it 15 and he's like oh my god so it was a it was very challenging I can only imagine and like he talks about um I watched this like three hour interview with him which was probably so indulgent but I really liked it but he um <laughs> talks about like how much it like sucked when George R. R. Martin who's like his hero was like, I don't want to pull a lost. And he was like, this it was like the <laughs> worst thing for him to hear. He was like, it just completely broke me. He was like, it's like my writing hero. And he just like compared his show that like the worst thing he could do was make it into my show. And it's like the whole thing. So I'm not at all surprised to hear that he was like, no, Watchmen is done. I am mm-hmm. done with the show. Like he was like, I made my show and I'm not making you anymore. That, and I've always felt so bad for that guy because... <laughs> he takes on so much like he i mean back to the comic book thing like a lot of people like me were pissed you know and then uh prometheus i mean if i'm not if i i think i'm correct in in this like didn't wasn't prometheus the movie that made him quit twitter because of so much hate he got Possibly. I don't know, but probably. Like, it, was, I mean, it was a bunch of that and lost back to back. It was yeah. insane how people came after him for that. Or like, he takes on this fandom. He takes on the comic fans. You know, he he, he, he kind of... Star Trek and did a great job and no one understood him, but it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. That. Or, I mean, I loved seeing how well received Watchmen was for him mm-hmm. because finally there was like, Yes. Uh, you know, a fandom that was just like, we get it, you know, we mm-hmm. understand. And I and I, I understand where a lot of them are coming from with like Prometheus. I mean, a lot of people like Alien, the Alien series for the aliens. And yeah. like, I, I went to the theater and saw this with like four or five friends. And I think maybe one other, one of them liked it. You know, the other ones were like, dude, where are the fucking aliens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I understand that. But at the same time, 
if you could go into it and see it for what it is, it's a, just such a great examination of so many ideas and philosophies. Like, it's, it's just, I, I don't say this about many movies, but to me, it is, it's a perfect movie for me. It has a lot of holes, yep. but it mm-hmm. gives Same. me exactly what I want out of it. Well, I think a lot of people are really uncomfortable with ambiguity and Lindelof uses ambiguity as a plot device so often Mm -hmm. that I think that just a lot of people, they want answers. They want things that are clear cut. Um, I mean, I know people that are still mad about like the end of Inception. They're like, well, was it or wasn't it? And I'm like, oh my God, that's the point. That makes me want to light my, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the point. Right. And (laughs) the end of Watchmen's the same way. And like, I think Lindelof does that a lot. And I think you do see some of that in Prometheus because it's some of the same. Well, I mean, it's the same thing like with Blade Runner. It's the, is he or isn't he? And Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of science fiction and that kind of letting the audience decide makes a lot of people very, very right. uncomfortable. Well, Lindelof has said people like to go see movies that end in an unpredictable way. And I would argue that that is not the no. case for the average moviegoer. The average moviegoer wants a story with like a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they want to go home and say they've enjoyed that movie. Now, I think for folks like us, like arguing that ambiguity is part of the beauty. Beauty, you get to really chew on it. You get to talk about it with people that love the film or detract from the film, but it's part of what the, the two hours you spend in the cinema is just the start of the journey overall. Like right. it's, it's then going down the rabbit holes of reading as many articles as you can find about it or discussing it with as many people as you can at that point. That's what, you know, persons that would come on the show or listen to the show, like that's what they want out of their movies. Yeah. We do, we do not represent the movie going public as a whole. Like, no. Yes, yeah. Like, that's a really good point, the ambiguity thing. Like, when you brought up Inception, it, to me, it's such a, like, perfect example of that. Because it's not so much about it's, ambigu- it, um, it's ambiguous and, you know, what whatever. It's more just about how, in the end, it doesn't matter for Cobb, right? Like, who right. cares? Because he got what he wanted, so it doesn't matter if he's in the dream anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the part, or sorry, not so much that, it's that he doesn't care if he's in the dream anymore is the story, is that the whole movie he's been obsessed with whether he's in the dream, now he doesn't care. So you're not supposed to care either. And I think that like exactly the beginning, middle, end thing is such a good, like versus the ambiguity is that it's not about, is it it, um, ambiguous how it ends? It's more about like, no, what's the movie really about? And like, I always think about this with like true crime docs where like, you know, in the end of making a murder, everyone was like, well, did he do it or didn't he? And I was like, that's not what the mo- that's not what the show's about. The show's about how the legal system failed him. It doesn't matter. If he, like, it obviously matters, but like, no, you're, that's not what it's about. And I think you're right that like a lot of people want that bow ending. I think that's a really good point. I was going to say, well, and people like um, things that make sense in a way that is, like, very straightforward and logical in our world. Like, I know a lot of the big critiques of Prometheus are like, well, why didn't so-and-so turn left? Or why didn't so-and-so do this? Or why did they do this anyway? Like, they're all just, just, like, sort of nitpicky criticisms Mm -hmm. about logic. And I feel like a lot of these stories are more about thematics than than yes than just logic mm-hmm. no yeah. totally and uh for me i i hate get like getting the answers you know like i i feel like Boring. maybe i'm the the opposite of, of the normal like film goer is that like because when i get the answers 
it just straight up takes away any personal connection that I have with the movie because I'd rather not have a single thing explained and I fill in the blanks myself, you know, and it, it takes away every like just very deep personal connection. I have it. I mean, if anyone reads a single thing I write, I accidentally turn every movie into something about myself to a fault. Oh, that's a mood, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. the point. <laughs> that's why like we a, do a, it. <laughs> a little too much. But, uh, to be fair though like a legitimate criticism of Lindelof at this time would have been introducing questions that he never had any real inkling to explore himself I totally disagree with you okay (laughs) and that's not just in in, that's not to say Prometheus but if you go back a a very brief thing on Lost and one of the smart things one of the smart things they did after three seasons is realize that the constraints of network television at that time, like it's got to be 22 episodes a season and we're going right. to milk it. You know, there's no end in sight. Like Lindelof and Q's recognize like that's not a workable solution for us. Like we have a definitive, like we only have so much in us, right. but for all of their talk about, Hey, we have a definitive endpoint in mind. We know where we're going. Don't worry about it. You know, he came out years later and said, we kind of just made it up as we went along. And we yeah, would put fair. things out there into the show that we thought looked cool, but we never had any intention of returning to them again. Which um, no one had a problem with on Twin Peaks, I'm just saying. Right? But Twin, Twin Peaks got canceled after two seasons. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. So people <laughs> did have a problem with it. Um, I got to imagine if, if Twitter was around when the oh, first God. couple of seasons of Twin Peaks was around, it would have been a shit show. And then when it returns, it returns on a network that you have to pay to go watch. So the people right. that are, that are going to go watch Twin Peaks are the ones that are going to want to spend 15 bucks a month just to get showtime. It's not something that you would put on just because you want to sit in front of the tube after a long day of work. Yeah, no, I feel totally so focused. seen right now. It's got a niche, <laughs> you know. Um, like, I will admit, like, I watched Twin Peaks years later, and as it came to the end of season two, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't need any more. Well, I think, Dave, I think David Lynch was at that point, too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Lindelof would ask questions he didn't necessarily want to explore. And I think maybe a legit critique of Prometheus, is it's, and I think this is true of a lot of movies in the 2000s, is it doesn't have a definitive endpoint in mind for its own story. It very much says, we'll get to that in the next installment. Okay. And there's no promise there's going to be a next installment. Yeah. I mean, okay, fair enough. I I think think it depends on the character that you're following. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good point. I don't know. I really thought Prometheus was starting a trilogy that was going to just catch us up to Alien and that was like I still believe that like I know that we hear all these like maybes and maybe there'll be another installment Mm -hmm. and I think that like Covenant took us so far off course that I don't know Mm -hmm. if it would matter anyway but I did when I saw Prometheus I was like okay cool the next two movies are gonna finish the story I walked into Covenant knowing exactly what questions I wanted answered um and kind of still believe that like it was on track to do that i mean this again 2012 we already said it this was like the land of like prequels sequels franchises there was no way they were going to start prometheus and leave it as a standalone like there was no way that was 
ever the intention. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it was like no intention of answering it. I think that what Prometheus did was ask questions and then I was expecting the next two movies to answer them. Right. And I, I, I get your yeah. point, and I, I see what you're saying about it being a new trilogy overall. And I think you can do that, but still answer some of, not maybe every single one, but some of the, I think the way it ends, it's like you have to watch what's going to happen next. And then to your point, then you go into Covenant, and because it made such a course correction from what Prometheus was, a lot of the big picture questions that Prometheus raised don't even get explored. Yeah, went a little off course. That, and I mean, as much as I love Prometheus with a passion, it's very arrogant as a filmmaker to be oh like, God, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll answer that eventually, but you guys got to, you know, stay aboard. You, you guys, you know, you got to stick with us. Yeah, you know, but like, is there like a franchise as massive as Alien? I mean, there is, but like, are there that many franchises as massive as Alien that if like Ridley Scott returning to Alien to make a prequel, you don't think there's a sequel coming? Oh no, and I was like, I'm of course there is. No, no, but like, I, I don't think anyone would have thought this is gonna bomb and we're not gonna make the sequel. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. there were like f- how many four Hunger Games movies? Like, <sighs> how can you not? I don't know. I would like. I don't. I think. I mean. What I was going to say when you were saying the, how it was, what did you say? You said, you didn't say hubris. You said something like that. Arrogance. Arrogance. Um, the arrogance is like, we were talking about, like, it didn't answer any questions. Guys, it literally told us who God was. It was like, this is God. This is your maker. <laughs> yeah. Like, A, well, and, arrogant, and B, it, like, definitely answered the biggest questions. Well, and I think, to. too, it really, like, if you watch Prometheus, there's sort of two perspective characters. It's either Shaw's movie or David's movie. Yeah. And if you watch it as Shaw's movie, you're going to be really frustrated. And mm. if you watch it as David's movie, it actually, it, it mm. works. It answers the questions it needs to. And then when huh. it gets to Covenant, it asks more and kind of, I think this is David's trilogy. Like, I really don't care about the alien tie-ins as much because mm-hmm. I feel like the android questions are so much more interesting and tying mm-hmm. back to the androids in the other films because I felt like they were the least explored characters like especially Bishop they should have really given a little bit more interesting take I like, I like that. that yeah no no I, I agree with you 100% I, I think David is also the most fascinating character in the whole movie mm-hmm. uh, I mean just th- that time that you get at the beginning of the film just with David you know we get to experience this side of the android that we didn't get to see in Ash that we didn't get to see in Bishop and then I, I, I've just always been so fascinated with watching the character of David and see these shades of his personality, you know, like they're, he's not supposed to fill these things, but he is very kind of angry at times, you know, he's jealous at times, you know, and I, I agree with you hundred percent. I've, I've no. always felt it's David's movie too. Hmm. I, I, I definitely want to dive a lot more into David in just a short bit, absolutely, because you, I think it's very clear, like you said, this these last two movies have been the, the Michael Fassbender show, because um, I think he's such a fantastic character overall. Um, Jerry and, and Lindsay, to your point too, I think it's fair to say that the fan criticism of this movie is very unfair in that if you're saying like, well, why aren't we getting aliens in an alien movie? Because I do think that Ridley Scott was really upfront about the fact that this isn't necessarily an alien movie, but it exists mm-hmm. in that universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, look, we've seen this monster for six movies now. There's only so much you can do with it. 
let's look at this sandbox we have to play in and come on board for that ride. And I think it was one of the rare times that even the marketing backed him up on this. A lot of times you can rightfully get upset when you're pitched one movie and go in and see something completely different. And that's not necessarily the fault of the director or the writer, but the people that are in charge of marketing the movie. But when you look at what they did for Prometheus, there is nothing that, there was like no xenomorphs in the marketing. There was nothing that hinted like, oh, there's going to be a ton of aliens in it. Like the engineers are up front uh, and center in it. David was up front and center in it. Um, and it's really like our fault as moviegoers for saying, why aren't there aliens in it? When you were, uh, It's like being told that you're not going to get the Red Rider BB gun for Christmas and then being upset when you don't get it. But yeah. Here's, here's my, my take on that. As a fan, I could understand their frustration because what Ridley Scott does well is he kind of changes what he says over time, as much as I love him. Uh, when Prometheus came out, yeah, it was marketed very much as its own thing. You know, there, there weren't many, you know, references to the alien films. But throughout the whole development, whether it's in the trades, the internet, mm-hmm. things that Ridley had said, things that John Spates had said, it was very much Ridley Scott returning to the Alien franchise. That mm-hmm. is what the fans heard. That is what you know we all to- were told. So when this movie arrives, and it's marketed, and to be honest, you know if you're not looking, if if you're kind of a casual Alien fan, you know you know what I mean. Like I, I, I my brother likes movies, but I, I doubt that he stays up late at night wondering like the story of the space jockey. You know what I mean? Like. It, unless you're like people like us that really just adore the series and everything about it. I mean, there's some people that I talked to that didn't even realize it was an alien movie until that last six or seven minutes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, and, but throughout development, it was very much an alien prequel until Lindelof came on board and they kind of changed the direction they were going. So I understand people that were super excited for one thing and got something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's, I'm, always interesting because like I've I said this before on the last episode on the alien episode that I'm not super great at like the history of the making of that's always something that I kind of get into later and it's never the thing that I like dive down mm-hmm. as much and so I'm really interested to say that you know you're talking about like how it was kind of the alien prequel and where it went and what they said because I don't know that and I was very less to like the kids say I was a lot less online in 2012 than I am now um so I remember it being, and I could be totally wrong, but I remember it never being pitched as an alien movie. It was like, it might take place in that universe. Like I knew it was going to be alien adjacent. I knew that it was Ridley returning to a franchise, but I never, I remember thinking that like, it wasn't an alien movie, but it might take place. And that's why that Neomorph, uh, I mean, it wasn't really an after credit scene, but kind of after the ending, that Neomorph thing was like, oh man, it mm-hmm. is in the alien universe. Like, even though you know Waylon's there, yeah. like, even though you know, you're still like, okay, this is just a similar universe thing. And again, just like, as we talked about how I, I think that um, Covenant kind of, uh, you know, overcorrected. Look at the title. Like, we had Alien, Aliens... Alien, Alien, Alien. All the movies are called Alien, and then they made this one, and they called it Prometheus. And then it was like, we're starting something new, and then it almost, like, the titles really speak to where they went wrong with Covenant, because now it's Alien Covenant, and there's a xenomorph in it. Yeah. And it's like, oh. No, to- <laughs> like, totally. Uh, I have... To the- uh, okay. Go ahead. 
I was like, to no, speak just... to the marketing. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, go for it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, go. Um, yeah. I actually remember in the theater, there was, I don't know if folks do this around you, but a lot of like older folks, senior citizens just go to whatever movie is playing. They don't check what it is. They just go in and they watch it. I love that. And oh, I love them. I can't wait to be that old. I know, and they I were sitting it. in well, front I mean, of I me. Can, but yeah, go on. And um, he turned to his wife and he goes, oh, Ridley Scott. I like Ridley Scott. And I leaned over and I whispered, yeah, it's, it's in the alien universe. And the wife looked at the husband. She goes, we're not watching this. And they got up and left. Oh. oh. And you I remember ruined that man's day. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was oh, like, my Lord. Poor guy. Poor guy. But I just was like, nobody knew. Like, a lot of people did, had no idea right. that it was even connected in any there's, way or form. There's a, uh article, an interview with Ridley Scott back in 2010. And he straight up said, during the junket for Robin Hood, he was saying that he was planning two prequels to Alien. He said, it'll be two. Prequel one and two. And then yeah. it's Alien one. I was expecting Covenant to bring it home. Exactly. And now he's like, I have four in me. I got four in me. But he was very much like, this is definitely an alien movie and it's going to eventually connect to the first alien. And he wasn't even going to direct it initially. He just wanted to produce it and like his protege was going to direct it. Like the whole, the whole mood and the whole like story of, of the movie getting made has changed over time. Every time that Ridley Scott does an interview. And I think, I think the I mean? movie is much richer for it being in an alien adjacent movie than oh, a straight up prequel. I agree 100%. And I feel like, you know, not speaking too much on Covenant, because I'm sure we'll get that in the next episode, but mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of course correction and listening to all the people that were complaining and being like, oh, there's not enough aliens. Well, guess what? Here's, here's what you wanted. I feel like that i mean people didn't even like what they eventually got with that you know so first of all you did course correction a little too much to like prometheus it is such a good jumping off point to so many good conversations you know and i i feel like it kind of set up it kind of spiked a ball and just let it drop you know like i i feel like sometimes we listen to fans a little too much and i think that's pretty you know Mm-hmm. obvious that's an obvious thing especially with you know the hashtag whatever cut wants oh to be released this month i'm nodding with my whole body like i'm just like yes mm-hmm. but uh-huh. it's just like at yes. some point at some point fans have to realize that they have to allow the creators to tell the stories they want to tell and you could be you could be you know on board for the ride or you could just step away and let someone mm-hmm. else enjoy it but i think that's so impossible in 2020 yeah well said. I think that's a wonderful point that as fans, we're not entitled to get the story that we want to get. You know, it's, you know, there's a reason why Scott gets to make these movies and not me, you know, no mm-hmm. matter what direction I might go in. Like, and if it's something that I don't like, then, Hey, I can just go watch something else. There's not like there's a dearth of entertainment for me to put my eyes or ears on. So, well, it's like this this venom that gets thrown around a lot. Like I I am hundred percent joking when I talk shit about Jason goes to hell or Halloween six. Right, right, right. No, no, no. I I don't I don't like them at all. But I'm super excited that they exist because for some fans, those are their favorite movies. You know, like yeah, I'll take my Carpenter Halloween. But at the same time, make Michael Myers be led by a senior citizen cult if somebody wants that. 
you know, make Jason a, a lizard or a, a, a worm. Like, I, I like bold choices. And I feel like as fans, we got to let the filmmakers tell what they want to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that note, let's talk a little bit about what the filmmakers, what Ridley Scott is trying to say with Prometheus. Ahem, ahem. Okay. All right. I am turning. Miss <laughs> Travis, the floor is yours. So in 2012, when the movie came out, I think what I took home from it was it, I want to say controversial, but it definitely was not universally accepted. And I think over time it's become the accepted theory, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I think, I said this a couple of times where I'm like, oh, this is the really obvious thing that the movie was doing. And people like, you're out of your mind. And I don't know if I'm just saying something obvious or if it's like, I dug too deep. I don't know. But I mean, Ridley, I don't think has been secretive about the fact that this movie was about humans meeting their makers. It is a religious movie like this movie is a christian movie and there's when i say there's no secret there i mean you know you have shaw is a scientist and she wears and treasures her cross the pilot spaceman has a christmas tree who doesn't like the christmas tree the christmas tree is amazing yeah it's amazing who doesn't like the christmas tree vickers who is kind of the villain vickers when they talk about, you know, these certain godlike things when Shaw... So I think... Let me back up a little bit. I think that this movie is really attempting to reconcile science with creationism. He's saying that you can be a scientist and you can be a religious creationist at the same time. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying I think that's what he was saying. And I think that that's where this whole movie goes. And Shaw is really the shell of that. Shaw is a religious person who is fascinated with death and creation of life. She feels less than because she can't create life. You're right, ma'am? I have something important to tell you. What is that? This is a rose that I had frozen with the champagne. I was going to give it to you when we found what we came for. We did find what we came for. They were here. This is... The most significant discovery in the history of mankind. Oh, I know. It's, it's incredible. It really is, but I wanted to talk to him. I mean, don't you, don't you want to know why they came? Why they abandoned us? Just one answers, baby. We were right, Charlie. I have proof. Look. Their genetic material predates ours. We come from them. No. <laughs> okay. 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 Guess you can take your father's cross off now. Why would I want to do that? Because they made us. And who made them? <laughs> well, exactly. We'll never know. But here's what we do know. Is that there is nothing special about the creation of life, right? Anybody can do it. I mean, all you need is a dash of DNA and half a brain, right? I can't. I can't create life. What does that say about me? She wears a cross and she's a scientist. And when she's talking to the other scientists about, this is it guys, I found our makers. Let's go meet them. 
um, the first guy to make fun of her is a doofus and he dies. So the first guy <laughs> to be like, oh, really? We're just going to discount Darwinism? And he says that and it's supposed to make him look like kind of a dummy. And he's the one who's talking about generally accepted science. And he's made into the dummy of the movie. The only person who makes fun of the Christmas tree is Vickers and she's seen as the evil villain of the movie. And it's the ones who end up following religious teachings and moves that are the heroes. And one of the biggest ones being things like self-sacrifice. The guy who, so Idris Elba's character, I can't remember his name. Um, the pilot, he's the one who sets up the Christmas tree and he sacrifices himself for the good yeah, of humanity. And he's a hero. Mm -hmm. um, like everything, every character that leans into self-sacrifice, which is what Jesus did, um, is the hero of the movie. And so, anyway, that and all of those religious themes are peppered in there. But all that to say, the start of the movie is they're finding these cave paintings that are referring to these supreme beings that are showing up on Earth pointing to a map of the stars. And this is where we are. And if you go through, they're pretty, uh, I can't remember this was years ago, but I checked the intervals of like when those cave drawings would have been drawn in their um, predictable intervals that catch up to Jesus. So if you like check them out, you can see that like they're predictable intervals of these, of the engineers, what I assume, coming to earth and being like, hey humanity, how you doing over here? You're our little project that we created in our image. Humans look like engineers. Engineers are shown sacrificing themselves to create humanity with their own DNA. There you go, in their image, let's be real. Our DNA is the same as theirs. Um, and then, these intervals of them visiting Earth through creating different religions that we've always looked at as primitive, it catches up to about 2,000 years ago when something went wrong and they decided they were going to wipe out humanity. So the presumption is that around 2,000 years ago, the last engineer came to Earth. He was Jesus. People killed him. The engineers were mad. And now they're coming to kill us. And I think that, like... It was a reconciliation of, when I say the reconciliation of science and creationism, he's saying, okay, evolution is still fine. That still makes sense. But what probably happened was that it was God using this godlike goo, mixing with his DNA, spilling it into the water to allow humanity to rise. And I think that, like, it was a reconciliation of that. And I think that there's, like, so many themes. There's, like, people keep getting hit in the gut, which is, like, a popular um, Jesus reference about, like, the bird eating away at his... Um, gut or something like that i have to look into that there's well, something there. he was stabbed with the um the spear right so yeah the whole he was hit with the spear um in the gut well and also i mean it's it's more than even just christian myth because the whole um creation the, a lot of the creation myth in um egypt comes from the idea that the nile river is the seed of osiris like there's yes. There's a whole lot of different stuff going on here. Like there's several different world religions and ancient religions and stuff that come into play because I feel like he was pulling from as much as he could to make this as universal right. a story as possible. Totally. And I feel like, yes, totally. And I think that it was like with each visit, he was sparring a different world religion. And it was like a reconciliation of the fact that we have different beliefs, different religions, but it's all really sprouted from these engineers these godlike figures so it's like almost like a reconciliation of that like they visited ancient egypt they popped into mesopotamia and what did that mean to them and those people and what did the engineers give those people so it's like 
the ancient Egyptian religion wasn't wrong. It was just a different time when the engineers came and that's how the people perceived it. And then with Christianity, they came and like, this was the time that humans got it wrong. It was like every other time we figured it out. And this time humans got it wrong. And the Christians were the ones who believed that Jesus was an extension of the godlike creator. And they're the good ones. And, but the rest of you guys like killed Jesus. And so like, we're going to come get you. Does that make sense? I don't know. That's always it what does. I read from the movie. It absolutely And I'm not, does. I'm like, I don't know. I have a very shallow um, knowledge of, christianity like that's just like from what i, I was like oh about two thousand years ago we killed the engineer that would have sparked a world religion and everyone's wearing crosses and talking about science and religion working together like that's very much what he's yelling in mm -hmm. our faces <laughs> to well, me it, it doesn't take the idea that it's a christian movie per se as all of religion has or faith has root in similar understanding or beliefs of the world that when you look at the major religions of the world although they believe have different endpoints or believe slightly different things, they all share a lot of common DNA. Yeah. Overall, overall. So in my, my idea, and I'm not a super religious person, I would say maybe more spiritual or I have like some faith that there's something like bigger than us, something than us out there. But this idea is basically the idea of some all knowing, all encompassing creator is almost too much for the human mind to even comprehend. So what we do is we create, myths and stories around it in order to kind of make us feel better. So this idea of the engineers returning every few millennia to kind of check in and checking in on different parts of the world very much ties into this idea that at its core, most religion believe similar things, but they have different comprehension or different points of view on very similar beliefs. Yeah. And I think that like, that's really where it was going. And then this movie, like Prometheus happened to be Christianity because I think it was talking about like, look what part, look at the timeline. It's like 2090 something. Um, you know, there are fewer believers than usual. And, you know, it would make sense that it would be Christianity at the time. There aren't any mm -hmm. ancient Egyptian. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of people who follow ancient Egyptian religion anymore. And I think, so it makes sense. And then I also think one of the things the movie does um, that a lot of movies do and I think it's really obvious here is that there are two major vices that I think a lot of religions uh, would point to and um, specifically Christianity from what I know but I know I think Danny has a better idea of this than I do I think you were saying that you know this anyway um, immortality and playing God mm -hmm. are two pretty consistent vices um, amongst like Bible stories from like and and any type of religion and I think that's really, really highlighted here. So Wayland, I think the vice of immortality is really, really common in scary movies and sci-fi and playing God being creation. So what is Wayland doing wrong? What makes him the bad guy? He wants to live forever and that's what he's chasing. And so that's what makes him evil. And it's the people that are willing to sacrifice themselves so that humanity can live are the good guys. The people who want to live forever are the bad guys. And then another thing that comes up a lot is creation. And I think that what he was trying to say here was only the engineers, and I think that he's implying that the engineers are God, only the engineers are allowed to create. You're not. And yes, you can procreate. And I know that like Shaw struggles with the fact that she can't create life. You can procreate, but you're not allowed to create. And what did humans do? They created David. 
and there's a lot of reference to we created you just because we could um what's his name um uh, charlie. holloway holloway charlie says it's right to him yep yeah but no but doesn't holloway say something about how like we made you just because we could yep um david's like that. right and i know david's yeah. response is well what would it be like if you were to meet your creator and hear and that same answer yeah and, and so like there's humans, an arrogance that it's like the rick and morty butterbot what is my yeah. purpose mm -hmm. what is my and it's like what did humans do wrong they made david is david alive we explore that humans made him that sucks and then what do humans keep trying to do create things what does david do that ends up being the the quote potential end of humanity david starts to create aliens mm -hmm. david starts to do that himself no one's allowed to create except the engineers and if you do you're the villain you're doing something wrong and that theme is all over prometheus is stop trying to be immortal and stop creating life and david starts creating life right from the get-go and he's the villain one of the things you you said was like the the two vices would be creation and, and immortality but immortality in and of itself isn't considered i would say a vice by most religions it's considered Vices, the reward yeah. it's considered the reward it's the okay fair. demanding an answer um it, it's, it's taken on if you are christian you believe that like your reward for living a good life is immortality it's just not it, within the shell of a body you're in but it's not you know, immortality it might be endless Oh God! Yeah, that's. Fair. I would say I mean, that's more about like extending your biological life. Yeah, like, it's about breaking the rules uh, that the creators have set. It's about yeah. It's about taking um, what you've been given, saying it's not enough, and demanding mm -hmm. more. Yes. More so than it is immortality itself. It's saying like no. Uh, this is great thanks i like being alive but i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going i mean it's it's yes. the same exact thing as like if you think uh frankenstein the original subtitle for mary shelley's frankenstein is the modern prometheus mm -hmm. like yes. it's that exact same idea oh, yeah. of, like, don't mess around with god's work you're not allowed well let's talk we about the title for a minute let's like take one minute <laughs> to diverge in because yeah. the, in the original myth like the what i i take away from this is like the one of the big ideas of this movie is that some knowledge is forbidden or some knowledge is too great and too dangerous to know. Um, in the original myth of Prometheus, he is punished because he gives the gift of fire to mankind from the gods. Like he steals it from the gods and give it to man. And he's doomed for all eternity to basically be eaten alive while chained to a rock each day. Um, right. That myth is transposed in the Judeo-Christian myth of the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are cast out of paradise because they seek knowledge. They eat from the tree of knowledge. Um, and that puts them on par with God at that point and God the creator. Yes. Um, so they're cast out of paradise and doomed at that point to live in mortal shells. They're going to grow old. They're going to die. Um, they're going to get sick, all of that because they dared seek out knowledge. And very much what this movie is, is philosophizing on is whether or not, look, if we know how life is created, can that in itself be a very dangerous thing? If we know the answer of where we come from, how dangerous can that be? And there's a certain arrogance to Wayland, and there's a, definitely an arrogance, well, certainly an arrogance to Shaw, where she demands to know why the creators are coming back and they want to, why they wanted to destroy humankind once again. Well, I, 
I think that that's one of the many things about this movie that I think just hits with me is there are a lot of conversations being had in the movie, like very much what you're saying, the danger of finding out, you know, the why of, of creation of why you're created. But at the same time, I also feel like the film really has a, a at the same time, a, a flip side to it that everyone is on this quest to find out why they were created, how they were created, who created them. But in reality, they're nothing more than goo. That you know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's like everyone wants their wants to find out their meaning, but at the same time, they kind of have no meaning whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I think like expanding on what you guys said, I'm like having like simultaneous epiphanies. The knowledge thing, yeah, totally. But I think it's much more about the on par with God language versus the actual knowledge. Like, I do think that there's like, maybe the engineers were summoning humanity to come find them. Because I think Shaw is still the like, good religious girl who gets it. So if she wants to find them, I kind of just figured that like, all of her actions were meant to seem like what the engineers would have wanted. What they didn't want, and like, it all goes back to the whole alien franchise theme of like, money and how it's like, well, we can do it your way, but because my company gave you the money, you're going to do it my way, is that they're seeking the knowledge of life, and it's very much an intention thing, like, what do you want, um, you know, what are you seeking? Is it the knowledge of life, or is it the knowledge that you can exploit it? And it was like, Shaw just wants to meet her maker as a religious person who wants to know more, but Waylon wants to use it for immortality and for creation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's the on par with the guard. It's not even like, hinted at in the way Westworld might put something in the background in the Wayland little hologram thing at the beginning that's like aliens where they do the debriefing on the ship which is ridiculous um Wayland says to them in his little pre-recorded video he's like I've named the ship after Prometheus who was cast out after he put humans on par with the gods he doesn't even mention the fire he doesn't even mention what they got or what they learned he's just saying Prometheus is vice was bringing humans on the same level as gods, which is what I want this ship to do. I, it's not even that I want the knowledge, it's that I want this ship to give me the power of the gods. So go out there, get me some goo, get me some engineers, and give me the ability to be immortal and to create life. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Uh, we should we should we should use that in the description of this episode. Go well, out there and get go out there and so, give me some goo. Go out there and <laughs> give me some goo. But give me some goo, and I will not listen to everyone. I will listen. I'm totally joking. But everyone be like, the goo is inconsistent. I'm like, oh my god, Google. <laughs> I've always wondered too. Like, what if? I mean, I know Scott intends you know the engineers to be sort of God, but I've always kind of thought like, what if they're just us but one step back and there's someone that created them and there's like I feel like there could be this sort of chain of creation that goes all the way down to the xenomorphs like there could be additional ones that go back just like the xenomorphs become new creatures as they go down the line uh, yes the cosmological argument I'm so glad you brought that up <laughs> they like I think they like touch on it really quickly in the movie Who created I think Holloway them? says something about that right it is he, Holloway, right? Am I just like making up a character? It yeah. is. Yeah, Charlie Holloway. Because yeah. he asks, like, he, 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 Shaw, he's, tells Shaw, asks Shaw, like, well, you've seen who the creators, who created us. Like, why do you want to keep pursuing this? And Shaw's response is, well, who created them? Right. Right, 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 right. You can keep going down this rabbit hole. On Wayland, 
his greatest sin isn't the fact that he wants to chase the immortality, but he wants it for selfish purposes. Like he flat out says, well, they can save us from death. Well, they can save me from death. He doesn't want this knowledge for anything other than selfish purposes. He's not, and I don't think Scott is saying if you create creating things is necessarily in and of itself, it's evil, but what is the intent behind it? You know, are we using it to, better ourselves or are we using it um, for selfish and nefarious purposes? And I think it's addressed a bit in this movie, um, LV-426 and this planet, I think it's LV-223. They're not not the home planet of these creatures. These are basically military installations um, separate from culture, art, and humanity um, and community. Like these are designed with one thing in mind and that is to bring death and destruction to others and that's why they're set apart and set separate from were they else. i always assumed it was like a lab and it only really became about death and destruction because they decided to wipe out humanity okay I that was my read but i don't know divided. i'm not yeah not I, adamant. I read it it's in particular in this movie that they were developing weapons at that point that everything yeah. everything they were developing was weaponized and i in part see that because later on in, in covenant when um david arrives on their planet he dumps the goo on them and he basically commits genocide within 30 seconds of arriving yeah, onto a their stupid planet, plot so. point but my yes. so the only reason and i'm genuinely curious because i remember thinking that because of covenant i was like okay this thing does kill them but then i still like, he also drinks what I assume is the goo in that very first scene where he, like, sprawls out his DNA, which I think mm-hmm. creates human, uh, humanity, whatever. The only part of the weapons thing that I can't reconcile, and maybe you're going to have a quick answer to this, is that we've got these ancient cave paintings from, you know, all these different eras that are all pointing to this planet. And I just don't know what the engineers would have been telling humanity if everything was going super well and they were like, and here's your map to like our weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. It just seems weird to me. I feel like it was like a pivot at some point. I would, I, don't know. I would say that the black goo itself is something that can be tinkered with and it can be used to create or it can be used to destroy. Right. That's and, what I read is that that's okay. what I always thought too. But and then it, like, why would, oh, yeah, sorry. Finish your thought. Because uh, the map itself isn't just like, Hey, come to just this planet. It is like, this is your roadmap. This is how you'll know that you'll get there. And they happen to arrive on 223, the installation that was the military base or what I would call like the military lab overall. But it was more saying it was kind of like, for lack of a better description, if you're driving into a new town, seeing the like welcome to sign, like that's the signpost that you would know that you've actually arrived where you need to go. Um, okay. And it's kind of a fumbling well, way to look at it. But. And I've, I've seen it more as um, they weren't, I think it's more just like, here's your guide to the tree of knowledge. Like, I think the installation yeah. is just the tree. Like there, it's just, this is the knowledge. What you do with it after this point is up to y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could also just be them planting like us planting our flag on the moon and saying like there 
it may not have been taken as a roadmap at all because obviously when they had visited the caves, there was no sort of technology that would have allowed mankind to go that far into the cosmos. And it could have been very much been their way of marking territory saying, these are places that we've been. Maybe. I don't know. I always read it as those. there was like a big pivot on behalf okay. of the engineers. That was my read. I'm not saying it's like for sure. I'm like, I'm interested to hear. I totally agree about the big pivot. I definitely think I that think... the pivot was when they were, when, when their Christ-like figure was killed by mankind, then yeah. saying we're going to start over again. Yeah. And I think it was like the goo, my read was like the goo can create life. That's what they used to create life. And it was like, there were purer times where these engineers were creating life on potentially other planets, but also potentially only Earth, depending on your read. And that's what this goo is all stacked up for. And then they decided, okay, we're going to kill humanity, so let's weaponize it. And then something went wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was like that little like flash of the, I don't know if it's the space jockey or just like another engineer space jockey looking guy like sprinting, that like little echo Yep. Hologram mm -hmm. of him. I always figured it was like, okay, we're going to weaponize this goo because humanity blew it and something went wrong. And now Shaw and crew are finding what went wrong. Yes, I agree. I think that's the perfect interpretation of it. Like, I would mm -hmm. agree with that. Like, yeah. the goo, some of the goo that they planned on dropping on man basically got out. Yeah. For lack of a better, is what, what happened is it basically got out. Yeah, it's like they bred some killer uh, attack dogs, and then unfortunately somebody left the the lock yeah. open. There you yeah. go. Yeah, and then I always kind of assumed where it was going to go was that because only the engineers are allowed to use the goo to create mm -hmm. humans and robots now use the goo to create, and uh oh, now you have xenomorphs. Mm -hmm. That's what happens, and I know that there's there like the whole thing about the perfect being, but I always assumed it was like now it's evil. Like you you took our creation and you weren't supposed to and now we have these evil monsters that are going to kill everyone. Well, and I've always seen David as like an analog to Lucifer and like the devil. Ooh, um, okay. Like I know in, you know, in now this isn't necessarily biblical, but like in um, more apocryphal stuff, uh, the whole idea was, especially like Paradise Lost, um, mm -hmm. the whole idea was, you know, that Lucifer, the biggest reason he was cast out was because of jealousy. And whereas Lucifer came first and humans came second, this is sort of a reversal of that. But David is this sort of Lucifer character in that he is, he is beautiful, he is perfect, but he doesn't have the one thing humanity has. And so he's like, well, why? Why me? And that jealousy is what drives him to, to poison the humans, you know, to put the goo in his drink and to create the xenomorphs because he's like well you know what if you know you guys created me for no purpose well screw you i'm gonna i'm gonna make my own Ooh. purpose oh my god i never looked at it like that i yeah. love that david even goes so far to say to shot at one point like when she asked what would happen when Waylon dies and he's like well i would be free at that mm -hmm. point and he goes so yeah. far to say isn't what everybody wants is to see their parents die and there's this idea that you can never be truly free until you're completely standing on your own at that point and one of david's like you said he does feel these very complex emotions whether or not he was programmed to do so he wound up developing these emotions over time yeah, there's there's a hardcore amount of, I don't know if it's resentment or just like, David loves 
and David enjoys uh, infecting Charlie. Am I interrupting? Thought you might be running low. Pour yourself a glass, pal. Thank you, but I'm afraid it would be wasted on me. Oh, all right. I almost forgot you're not a real boy, huh? I'm very sorry that your engineers are all gone, Dr. Holloway. <laughs> you think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you hope to achieve by coming here. What we hope to achieve was to meet our makers, to get answers. Why they, why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? <laughs> I guess it's a good thing you can't be disappointed, huh? Yes. It's wonderful, actually. May I ask you something? Please do. How far would you go to get what you came all this way for? Your answers. What would you be willing to do? Anything and everything. That's worth drinking to, I'd imagine. Yes. Oh, like the, the back and oh, yeah. forth and and i understand why because i mean logan marshall green's great in this movie but at the same time like charlie's, charlie's a piece of shit in this charlie's movie, a dick honest. yeah he's such like, a dick he deserves it he, he is and so I feel like, like he's I, just so boring i feel like it's like don't care about him but yeah go on and it's it's funny to watch like that back and forth between charlie and david because david is enjoying doing this it's and the, I think to me, I think the, the pivotal David, scene in the movie. This oh, is the I, agree, I agree 100%. And I think David has, like a lot of us have, and it goes to his, what you, just the, the quote that you said about, you know, everyone wants to see their parents die. Uh, I think David despises who created him. Well, you know, oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's to think of another Ridley Scott movie. I mean, he's just, he's Roy Batty. It's the yeah. same sort Definitely. of character. It's it's because totally. Roy Batty's whole thing was, well, why do I only get to live for four years? Why can't I have a life? Whereas with David, it's well, why can't I create? Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. I Dave, this is God. This is very fun. Um, I am learning <laughs> so much. Um, it's funny because I feel like you guys like think about David a lot more than I ever did. So I'm just like really, really, really enjoying this analysis of him. Because my read on David, I remember one of the things you kind of touched on it when we were talking about the logic of the movie earlier, um, or sorry, like logic versus the uh, thematics. Um, I never focused that much on David. And I remember one of the things people complained about was like he was behaving inconsistently. Um, sometimes he was doing bad things. Sometimes he was doing good things. Sometimes he was helping them. Sometimes he wasn't. And my read on it was because we had an autonomous... Um, he was learning to be autonomous. He's learning to be himself. We see him learning. He's quoting movies that he watched, which was not something that was programmed into him. He's learning new languages, not something that was programmed into him, but he's still being controlled by Wayland. We see him taking all of these phone calls from Wayland and then doing stuff. And what I always thought is like, David wants to create 
And I think that's what sets him off in Covenant. But in Prometheus, I still think that he likes humans. Like, I mm -hmm. still thought that he was on the side of humans. I don't think him helping Shaw was bullshit at the end. I think that he genuinely wanted to help her. And he mm -hmm. wanted to help humanity. And I still, and again, I'm like changing my mind now because you guys have so many great thoughts. I think that he has <laughs> a genuine, I think he has a genuine affection for Shaw. And to carry that a step further, I hate Shaw's ultimate fate in Covenant. True. Really, oh, with passion. It's so awful. But I always thought that David infecting Shaw was an act of love on his part. No, I thought no. that it was because Waylon told him to. No. No. I, I, I'm saying I know. That's what you guys are making me change my mind. Yeah. I've thought this for what? Nine years? What year is it? Eight years? I've uh -huh. always been like, no, he still likes humans. He wants to create. So he's still excited about what he's doing because he's hyped about the ability right. to create. But I was like, no. And I, I mean, I know I did. I, I think there's there's a big amount of jealousy towards the humans because yes. even totally, even it, even just in Fassbender's portrayal, yeah. Fassbender said it himself that he didn't study Ash, he didn't study uh, Bishop for David. The right. one character, mm -hmm. the one character that Fassbender wanted to base David on was Rachel from Blade Runner. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I don't you know. know. I'm, I'm like, I'm going back on my like eight-year-old belief but i really thought that yeah he's obsessed with creation so he still enjoyed the tasks given to him but i always thought that he still definitely likes shaw more than anyone because he still believes in this mm -hmm. whole thing about creation and meeting your maker and he's fascinated by her desire to do that because he feels compelled to do similar things mm -hmm. but i still always was like no he gets off the phone with wayland vickers is like what did wayland say and you don't know what's wayland at the time you just know that he's talking to someone because you still think wayland's dead Vickers is like, what did he say to you? And he's like, it's none of your business. And then he walks over to Holloway mm -hmm. and gives him the goo. And I always so thought it was like, I want to touch on that. Like, I want to touch on that in a moment. But I want to just, I just want to turn super brief to the um, fate of Shaw. And I'm super, because I'll lose okay. my mind if I, I'll forget Sorry. about this completely. It's like, oh, man. by the end of, Co by Covenant, David hates humanity. Mm -hmm. He feels he've lived, he, is feels he's a superior being to them and that he's created all these super, superior beings to him. Yeah. He still has this affection for Shaw and I believe he sees her fate as his reward for her saying, look, there is no better reward for a man than to give birth to superior beings in themselves. Furthermore, since you, since Shaw is not able to, give birth on her own, he sees it as another reward for her. Like, look at what I'm gifting you. I'm gifting yeah. you this ability. And that is why, like, when she, when you see her corpse, and it's it's gross, but it's displayed in a way that he would find, I would say, affectionate, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. almost at a point of reverence overall. Oh, totally. That. And, and that's even fleshed out more in, in the David's drawing books that I mentioned mm -hmm. on the last episode. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's very much the way that he positions her body and the experiments and all that stuff, it's, it's, there's some affection there. Yes. I don't so, think he ever intended her to get infected. I think true. that was, I think that was an unintended consequence because he knew she, I mean, I'm pretty sure he knew he, she couldn't have children. I remember mm -hmm. there being a conversation about that. And so I think he just wanted to infect him. Mm -hmm. he, he was just like, yes. I'm going to get rid of this guy. And then mm -hmm. maybe, maybe then I can get closer to Shaw or something like that. Yeah, I, just, I thought I never, that too. 
I never saw him as intending to infect Shaw and that it was just more of a, well, if you're going to make an omelet, we yeah. got to break some eggs kind of situation. Totally. I, I thought I think this you're was right. his first experiment. He was just like, let's see what I'm mm-hmm. going to put in this. He has no idea what this goo's going to do. No yeah. one does. He puts it between his fingers and he's like, interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Wayland's like, do some shit and bring me a sample. And he's like, okay. And then he puts it in the glass and gives it to Holloway, the person he finds the most disposable that's still alive yeah. and on the ship. Everyone and- else who's disposable is either dead or not on the ship. And you see David's anger towards Holloway rise throughout that interchange between them. You mm-hmm. see oh, the yeah. un- you see the unease. Uh, and Fassbender plays it so well with just these re- almost like with Ian Holm and Ash in Alien during yeah. the moments where he's watching over um, John Hurt's character. He's watching him like a hawk throughout. And yes, you just there, beat me to that. Yes. There are these like <laughs> blank and if you miss it, like facial expressions that Ash has um, are very much apparent. And I know, Jerry, you just said Fassbender didn't study um, Ash here. And I, and I, I would say you're right. Um, but he still has that actor's knack for conveying so much with just a few totally. moments on his face. He, he even says stares before, at Holloway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and, I mean, Holloway's being so antagonistic mm-hmm. with, with the pool, with, with the, the billard, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the ball. Like, he, he keeps kind of, like, forcefully kind of mm-hmm. throwing it David's direction to mm-hmm. where, like, I, I, I could totally see those looks that you're talking about because right. David, he, you know, he has a mission and, you know, and but I, I feel like there's, Oh man, I love David this movie. is chaotic neutral in this movie. Yeah, taking oh, yeah. A little, big time. He um before he infects Holloway, he gives himself plausibility deniability by asking Holloway, I sense your disappointment, like you've come all this like Holloway can't grasp the enormity of what they actually found because he can't there's not a living engineer there. Therefore mm-hmm. the whole mission is a waste. Never mind that you found this race of beings that created man it's the greatest scientific discovery of all kind mm-hmm. and he asks david asks holloway how far are you willing to go and it's very much be careful of what you wish for because mm-hmm. holloway says i would do anything and sacrifice anything in order to have my hypothesis approved to have David's it like, validated thanks Thanks, it's all I needed. Click, finger goes in the uh, whiskey glass. Yes. And he infects him. Even though he like, gives him champagne, I think, but yes, whatever. Yes, you're right. Champagne, you're right. <laughs> but it is a whiskey you, glass. It's, it's a it tumbler. It's a, yeah, yes. it's in a tumbler. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would infect Holloway if Holloway didn't give him that consent? Yeah, I think Waylon told him to. I, I know no one that. is going to agree with me, and I might change my mind mm-hmm. by the end of this podcast. I didn't change it for eight years, but I might change mm-hmm. it today. Yeah, I, I think know. Wayland told him to. I don't know that Wayland told him to. I always saw it as that Wayland was just being a jerk. And so that was David kind of stepping up and going, you know what? I'm going to take this into mm-hmm. my own hands. Like, I always saw Maybe. it more as him sort of, that was the moment mm-hmm. that he broke with Wayland and was like, nah, mm-hmm. this is my story now. And you're seeing okay. this, this curiosity develop in David throughout the first few acts of Prometheus. You're seeing this innate curiosity like there's no reason for him to break off from the exploratory group early on when they originally find the temple Mm -hmm. but he does and he there's no reason for him to start you know pressing the buttons to basically open (laughs) the door but he does like david is discovering himself and his own autonomy at this point so i don't think it's a matter of 
Waylon telling him what to do. Um, because later on, when Vicar says, hey, patch me in, you know, he does that for a while. But as soon as, as, soon me, as David yeah. sees something that he doesn't want Vickers and by extension Waylon to see, he turns off his camera and let it me, becomes a private discovery. Let me step back a little bit on mm-hmm. my thoughts. When I say Waylon, Waylon told him to, I don't, I mean, I do think that there was something that they were trying to tell us when uh, he's wearing that like helmet and talking to someone that Waylon was telling him to do something. But when I say told him to, I don't mean that completely literally. Mm-hmm. I think that when we're talking about how, um, and I think it was just like my reaction to the whole David's being inconsistent thing. I think that our theories are a little more compatible than they sound. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean that Waylon was giving him specific directions and orders, although I still kind of think that about the placement of the, about experimenting with the goo. I think that like we, like he was programmed by Wayland. So right. David, as he exists, is an extension of Wayland. It's a, he works for Wayland, that's his job. And he's an extension of him in, in a way controlled by him, even if not directly, he is out there to do Wayland's bidding, just like Ash was out there to do uh, Wayland's bidding, right? Hello, I'm David. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing or unethical. I can blend in with your workforce effortlessly. David, what do you think about? I think about anything. Children play. Angels. The universe. David, what makes you sad? War. Poverty. Cruelty. Unnecessary violence. I understand human emotions. Although I do not feel them myself. This allows me to be more efficient and capable and makes it easier for my human counterparts to interact with me. Is there anything you would like to say, David? I would like to express gratitude to those who created me. Happy birthday, David. From Wayland Industries. Eighth generation Wayland type. Technological, intellectual, physical, emotional. Mm-hmm. And what happens over time is that he starts to become himself. And I think that's when he starts to help Shaw. And so, like, even though he has an affection for her at the beginning, I think that, like, what is happening in the movie is him growing and changing into being more autonomous. Mm-hmm. So when people are like, oh, he's acting inconsistently, does he like them or not? I was like, no, I think that he's still Wayland's, Im- I don't know, like programmed employee. Yeah, and he, he has he to kind fight of- his programming. Yeah, so even, so 
maybe it wasn't as direct as Wayland told him to do this and Wayland told him to do that. Yeah. It's more like, remember that he's an extension of Wayland and that's why he's doing evil Wayland things. Mm -hmm. And then as he discovers himself, he starts to help humanity, but still become obsessed with the creation, which may or may not be compatible with what Wayland wants. Does that make sense? I think that makes complete sense. And I yeah. think that, I honestly think that clears up the position a lot more. I do, I do think what you're saying is really compatible with everyone else's. I, I agree. So I'll pose this question. Do you feel that the Wayland Corporation ever discovered the fate of Wayland? Ooh. Because to your point of, to the point, I think Jerry had mentioned Ash, Ash and Bishop are completely different androids from mm -hmm. David. And even in the next, is it Michael in the next movie? I can't remember Fastbander's character's name in the second in, in Covenant. Here, it jumps it's off. My, it's Michael, I think. Thing. It's Michael. Okay, so they by this time these androids are programmed much differently, and they're much mm -hmm. less free thinking. And I'm wondering if what occurred to what happened to Wayland ever got back to earth or ever got back to the company in terms of like, this is what his fate was and this was his androids role in it. So I think like what my theory, and again, this is a theory that I kind of developed before covenant kind of threw me off base is I was like, there has to be something to get back to Wayland to make them want to keep exploring this. Because mm -hmm. what I kind of figured, I was like, okay, Wayland hears about this, uh, basically Sean Holloway's project. They are like, oh, there's probably a way to monetize or get this or whatever, some company, whatever. It's valuable. They send them out there and either they have to figure out what went wrong to be able to try again or they're like, okay, they went out there, they got hurt, something went poorly, um, but we still want the sample, so let's send the Nostromo. So I don't know that they necessarily knew what happened with David. I think enough because we have to figure that David is the proto-Ash. Mm -hmm. So they knew enough to make them less free thinking, perhaps? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I always assume that David probably didn't get back to Earth. I always assume that everybody died. And that's why mm -hmm. they sent the Nostromo. I, I assume David didn't get back to Earth either. I was wondering if there's like, like yeah. a, a black box type thing. Yeah, I assume they have no idea what happened. Yeah. Okay. They sent them out and they all died and that's why mm -hmm. they sent the Nostromo. Okay. Yeah, I think, it's my, a mis big, big, I think it's a big mystery too. I think that's, I think honestly, if they found out everything that happened, if there was like a black box, I think um, they would have taken a lot more steps to prevent that kind of thing from mm. happening again. And the Nostromo wouldn't have just been going out there quite so blindly. Okay. Totally. And the colony would have behaved differently mm. from aliens. They would have been a little more worried. Okay. That's Excellent. my thought. Excellent. Would have, yeah. Because I don't think we live in a world where the passengers of the Nostromo have any idea about the, like, creation of humanity. And obviously, Agreed. we would assume that, like, Whalen might not, not necessarily be changing that, but that would be, like, literally world-changing information. Like, if a mm -hmm. scientist came back and was like, guess what, guys, we figured it out. That would change the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I still, this is a whole other, I mean, it's still, it's not technically a tangent, but I am always like, like, I know there's always talk about like, let's take alien back to earth. And I'm like, I think you would mess everything up if you showed mm -hmm. us what earth was like right now. But then everyone's like, well, we kind of know because we've seen Blade Runner. And I'm like, oh God, that messes <laughs> with my head. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that anything like that would change earth so much. So A, that's why they definitely can't show earth. 
And B, I think it would change the passengers in the Nostromo too much and the colonists in Aliens too mm-hmm. much. I just came to this thought, this thought, I think I asked this earlier um, when we were talking online, was whether or not that the idea of finding this alien signal was just pre-baked into the DNA of every Wayland yutani ship going forward without the knowledge of its crew. Meaning that distress signal that the Nostromo has is built into every ship in, as part of that corporation. So if they stumble into that area, they would unknowingly become sucked into it at that point. That because of what happened in, in Prometheus um, or because of whatever knowledge the company eventually came to, um, they said, we know something is out there. We Our crews are expendable and no one is going to sign up, by the way, like... I don't care how good of a bonus you're going to get any sort of job where you might get this thing that will impregnate you and then burst out of your chest, killing you. I don't think I'm signing up for that. Sign me up. I mean, I don't know if I get to be in a sandwich with Idris Elba and Charlize Theron. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Put me on the ship. You would have, okay. That would be a pretty damn good bonus. I always assumed that that was the Nostromo's real mission. Like I, even from like my first viewing of Alien, I know, again, it was like something that was to remain ambiguous and something to think about, but I still like, we talked about this. The theme of mm-hmm. Alien is basically how expendable the crew is on behalf of making mm-hmm. money for the corporation. And I always thought that like the Nostromo was sent to do that. Like that mm-hmm. was on purpose. I don't think it was ever a mistake because everything, especially Ash, hints at the fact that this was super organized because one of the other consistent themes in Alien is the um, exploitation of the rules. So the rules will protect us and everyone follow the rules. But then there's mentions of like, I'm not chasing this distress signal. I'm not paid for that. And Ash is like, well, actually, if you don't chase this distress signal, which is part of our whatever mandate, then you actually won't get paid. So Mm -hmm. you have to. Like, it's super, super organized in such a way that they have to, which I guess could happen if it was programmed into all ships anyway. But I always really read that as the Nostromo was sent to do it. And that's always what I figured would happen in either Covenant or if it was a trilogy, was that Wayland would get enough information to know that they found something, but they couldn't bring it back to Earth. So they found something important, but then they all died. So let's send an expendable crew to bring it to us. Also, and no, totally. And I think that that actually goes with a uh, a question that I had on Twitter this week that Mike uh, has an argument for that. And after Mike, after you saying that, I completely agree. The fact that they are expendable speaks to my, my frustration of, I, I can't stand it when prequels have better technology than the originals. Yeah. Like it just, it takes me out of it. But the fact that the crew of the Nostromo, they were expendable would make sense why they would send them on this shitty ship with like, you know, bad technology. And you know what I mean? Like the, the Prometheus, uh, Mike, you, you can sum that up. I mean, you had a good well, argument for we, it. We were talking about this a little bit and you were saying like, I hate this. And to me, it makes sense. Like to me, it makes sense. Like, and I'll go back a little further. Like it makes sense that the technology in the Phantom Menace is better than the technology in Star Wars because the rebels in Star Wars are, a ragtag group of people that are basically getting their hands on anything and everything they can to fight mm-hmm. back against this, this menace where in mm-hmm. the Phantom Menace, you're pretty much looking at the, 
um, galaxy when it's kind of running at its peak efficiency overall. So it would make sense that thing, you're, you're in a time of peaks so and you're in a time of prosperity. It would make sense that things are kind of clean and neat and shiny. When you look at Prometheus, you're not looking at this kind of ragtag group of blue collar workers that are just getting by and they are fighting over whether they get a full or a half share of a bonus. And that half share can make all the difference in the world to them. You're looking at a person who has more money. He's basically, it's Jeff Bezos, basically. Mm -hmm. If Jeff Bezos were to be in an an alien character, he would be Wayland. What I find fascinating about the majority of the movies in the Alien series is there's really no talk of government at all. There's no talk of countries. There's no talk of like a world community. That really what's happened is corporations have taken over the function of government. Wayland, Wayland Yutani might as well be the United States in terms of the Mm. wealth and resources that are at its disposal. Well, that's such a big cyberpunk thing. Like cyberpunk, mm-hmm. so much of it is about corporations basically becoming nations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always thought that that was kind of fascinating too. Like, yeah, Wheeland Yutani is this just this massive corporation that could be like a whole country if you really think about it in terms mm-hmm. of the wealth. Um, and I mean, just look at how things are in our own world and how right. it's become that way. I mean, look at the corporations that have more money than a whole lot of different countries GDP Mm -hmm. like it just it seems like the natural evolution for a capitalist future there was a report that was released I think within the past two weeks that says during this time where 40 million people have lost their jobs the billionaires of the country have seen their wealth grow by 565 billion on Thursday of this week, I took part in a rally for educators where we're protesting all the cuts that are going on in public education right now. And in my state of Massachusetts, the 11 billionaires of the state have seen their wealth grow by $17 billion um, over the, since March of this year. In the meantime, you know, my district is losing 60 teachers at this point, which is a small amount and less than we thought we were going to lose overall. But it's Mm -hmm. still like way more considering all of the challenges that face public education when you're not in a pandemic. So to your point, Danielle, very much like, yeah, corporations, if they keep growing like they do, are basically going to become the new sort of nation state. It's so fathomable, like without going on the most massive tangent like we did in the first one and as much as I'm compelled to. I I said this before, like our government, so I'm in Canada, our governments are incredibly similar, but also really, really different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain things that sometimes like, I mean, I don't know that you guys know as, maybe necessarily as much as every, about everything that happens here, but like we obviously know a ton about what happens for you guys. Mm-hmm. And um There are certain things that like as an external observer, every so often you're kind of like, wait, they're making a different point than I would. And Mm -hmm. what I, one of the biggest examples of that when we talk about things like late stage capitalism that we sometimes don't even notice, like let's talk about the masks in theaters. Everyone's obsessed with AMC right now. And what are they going to do? And are they going to make masks mandatory and things like that? And it's like, guys, don't you think it's kind of strange that you're looking at private corporations to make health decisions for people? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's like, 
that I see some people being like, boo, this theater, boycott that theater. And I'm like, dude, why is AMC making this decision? This, yeah, this should be the government's decision. This should be the yeah. HHS. This should be the CDC that's saying, hey, this is what's mm-hmm. safe. And Put instead, on your friggin' mask. Right. And instead, because and they were gutted by this administration, they just, there's right. nobody there. Right. Like, it's a ghost right. town. So it's completely fathomable that corporations would be the functioning government because that's quite literally what's happening. Like mm-hmm. it's not an unfathomable thing because we're already in a world where we're pitting companies against each other to make the best decisions for the people, which is like mm-hmm. a wild situation. And like, not that again, we're a week behind you. Like not that anything right. is completely different here, but every so often as an external observer, I'm like, wait, why are they boycotting a theater? That's an insane reaction to mm-hmm. this. But like, I get it. Like I get it. It's just so like, wait, Hold on, why is the why is the private company making that decision for the people? And to That's take it a, to take it a step further, it's almost impossible in 2020. Like the idea of like voting with your wallet, I think is a very real thing. Like you can only spend money if you you can try it as best you can to spend your money ethically. And one of the ways <laughs> to do that is we're so linked at this point in so many ways so because there's so much monopolization it becomes almost impossible to do that there was the impossible you know there i was believe the, in it but it's still impossible yeah, like exactly. i believe in it's, it and we should do it but like try to avoid amazon for a day let me know how that goes right, right. exactly I, I signed up for my Fangoria subscription literally five days, I think, before they oh. said, you know, like oh. right before the Cinestate thing. And yeah. I don't know what's, I'm like, great. Um, yeah. But people that were saying like, hey, you should, um, you can't spend your, you can't spend your money with them. That's their right to do that. But I'm like, are you typing this on an Android or an Apple tablet? Right. right. Like, what are you, like, are you typing this on your MacBook right now? It was and, probably put together by children in another right. country. Right. Who, by the way, that kid in that other country, like my last MacBook, the screen went out after like a year and a month. <laughs> and I'm going to find that kid. You're going to find that little kid. That little kid, that little kid making like a quarter, I, yeah. making a quarter for a month. Yeah. I mean, listen, school. it's a much larger, nuanced, deeper conversation to talk about things like that. And it's hard to, it's easy, but also hard to compare something like Cinestate to something like Amazon. And we could go on about that right. for hours and hours. But all that to say that like, yeah, it's completely fathomable to live in a world where corporations have completely replaced government because like we're halfway there well and i mean it's it's the episode of the good place where the judge goes down and she's like there's a chicken sandwich and if you eat it it means you hate gay people (laughs) yeah it's like basically they the second season was just like oh there are no ethics under capitalism and it's like oh damn they went for it and uh yeah so that's well, I mean, I, I think that yeah. also translates to the, the films that we're talking about. Uh, yeah. After the first Alien episode, I think we, we got a comment. Uh, basically, well, we, we love the show when you guys aren't pushing like political agendas. It's oh, like, wow. but have you <laughs> guys watched say, any of the Alien films? You know what yeah. I mean? Like mm-hmm. these movies have big statements. Whether they're political, whether they're social, it's, it's like does. that recent. It's like that it's literally recent the thing. point of sci-fi, but like okay, exactly. Enough. It's like that recent tweet that everyone was pissed about, and I understand because it was a really stupid tweet that this dude did, where he was basically trying to like talk shit to Nia DaCosta about the new Candyman. Uh, it's yeah. like, have you uh, like seen, surprising have you no seen, one? Have you yeah. seen the original? Like, yeah. I, I feel like these movies like a lot of people see them at face value and there's so much to kind of like right. dissect and look at. And these movies are political. These movies do have social statements. 
Some and people I, I are too those... dumb for allegory. Like that. <laughs> it's, it's not just what that. it is. It's about choosing it. It's like when you saw Alien, you were okay with what it was saying, but then now that it might not have anything to do with your personal politics, it stands out, and that's what these people are reacting to. Is they're being like, "Oh, well, this doesn't fit into my very specific n- political narrative, so therefore I hate it." And politics are ruining everything. Oh, exactly. And it's like you didn't notice it in Alien, but like, okay, go off. But oh, anyway. exactly. Like my mother-in-law saw the um, we saw the Last Jedi, and she's like, "Oh, I, you know, I remember when Star Wars wasn't political," and I was like, "The first movie is about the Vietnam War. No. Come on." Quite literally about. It's like quite, it's called anyway. Star Wars. It's like hello, Star- <laughs> war Star is in Wars. the title. There are rebels and an empire. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> there is. There's no pleasing. So it's you I have know. to be deliberately obtuse sometimes. You know, it's yeah. it's incredible. There is something someone wrote today because today is as a recording this. It's the 45th anniversary of um, Jaws coming out. And oh it's my like, God. what can a movie about a politician who deliberately unsees a pandemic that can devastate his community all in the sake of supporting business? I wonder what a movie about like that could tell us about today's state of affairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they were like, there, I saw a tweet that was like how there, um, there's a bunch of theaters opening to play Jaws. And it was just mm-hmm. like, Siri, show me irony. Irony is dead. Um, we mm-hmm. can't go to the local drive-in anymore that we were, we were planning on going on our anniversary. Um, the, we've come to find out the person who runs it, um, who had his TV show around here called The Phantom Gourmet. It's like this pair of brothers. And one of them just went on these amazing tangents on his Facebook page about why he hates the Black Lives Matter movement. It was oh. it was ugly shit, and we're like, well, no. so he lost his TV show. <laughs> the oh, the no. company was like, we are pulling this off the air, and oh, there were like man. literally thousands of comments on the the page of the drive, and like, here's why we're not going to be going. And he oh. issued he issued a very like, sorry, I got caught apology. Though. Yeah, it sucks. That's yeah. not what you want to hear. Definitely not what you want to hear. No. Especially when they're doing Jurassic Park and Jaws tonight, and you're like, I <laughs> you're really like, that would have been so fun. But yeah. so fun but yeah, that's not we, what you want to hear. We will not be giving you our money. Listen, um, we're going through a very, I don't know what you want to call it, but you can call it a cleanse. You can call it a reckoning. Mm-hmm. You can call it a crumbling. But I don't know if it's because we just have like more time, but man, whoo, it's happening. Um, it's happening. It's a, yeah. It's a, and it's, it's, it's a reconstruction of society, and it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad that we're, that it's actually happening. Like, I remember when Me Too happened, and then it just sort of, like, trickled off, and that mm-hmm. this feels like that, but on steroids. Like, it feels yeah. like, it feels like we're going after the racists, the misogynists, the homophobic, homophobic mm-hmm. people. Like, we're going after everybody. Like, if you mm-hmm. have hate in your, well, like, like David Lynch said, change your hearts or die. We're done. We're like, coming um, for you, Chad. We're coming for you, Chad. We're coming for you, Karen. Oh, All God. right. Brett. 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 Um, so I want to shift to a non-political subject when we talk wow. about Prometheus. And I want to ask, are we tired of the trope where one of the ways we are supposed to feel empathy or sympathy for the female character is that she can't have children? Not political at it. all. Not a minefield to discuss I whatsoever. Hated it. I yes. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it re- yeah. It just, it just reduces 
it reduces a person to like, what can you give at that point? I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I have less to say about this than, you know, you, you guys, uh, because I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a male. So I mean, what do I know? I do think it's very played out and the trope is very tired, but that being said, I feel like the fact that Shaw can't have children really speaks to the whole creation aspects of this film mm-hmm. in particular. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, 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 yeah, I, feel I, like it's, I feel like it's less of a trope in this movie than, mm-hmm. than other ones that it's used in. I, I agree. agree. Yeah. I think like the movie is very much about creation of life and the thing that stings her about it Like she says, when she points it out, she's teary-eyed and she says, I can't create life. And it's all about, I mean, you could make an argument that it's all these men who are obsessed with creation of life and that's their purpose. And then, you know, the female on the ship is like, well, so what does that make me if I can't create life? And so I do think there's like a little more to it than your average, but it's still kind of like, ugh. Well, and I mean, the fact that, I think that there is a very, there's a known factor to that. Like, I think that there's a mini commentary on the misogyny of corporations and of especially the the science field, because the fact that they have a, a machine on the ship that can repair anybody but it's only for men like the fact that they got the male version of the surgeon thing like those pieces kind of make you okay that's that's saying like women aren't considered equal with men on this yet and that's a whole nother level and with vickers too like vickers is trying so hard to prove that she can be just as good as you know her father and so, David, like her father makes right. comments about how he's the son I never had and Vickers I'm, is his daughter. I took David's whole creation as coming from the fact that Waylon didn't have a son. Yeah. That's the reason why he created David. Yep. Yeah, totally. And I think like, I mean, to expand, this might be, I don't know, feel free to stop me if you have to, but um, with the whole, she can't create life and then her purpose in the both this and the next is that she ends up getting quote unquote pregnant Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she's fulfilling her purpose much like david ultimately thinks that that's her purpose is to create life so she's saying as a woman am i less of a woman or am i less of a person because i can't create life that sucks for her now she can create life which makes her valuable and i don't think it's coincidence that her little surgery scene is an abortion yep Mm -hmm. and she is using a machine in a way that's like she is messing things up. She's doing something real bad because David's doing the good thing about trying to bring life into the world and she's cutting it out of her. How dare she? Mm-hmm. And I think that like that, especially, ooh, I'm sorry again, but like especially if we're talking about a movie that's dancing with a lot of Christian creationist themes mm-hmm. to have an abortion mm-hmm. looked at as a bad thing is a pretty like, okay, movie. What's up? So Do you think I think it, was it definitely a- goes there. Do you think it was a deliberate choice in the language then to use cesarean versus abortion when, when Shaw is trying to program that device to get it out of her because she yes. uses the term yes. cesarean? Yes, it because does, yes, I do. Yeah, because abortion—that's they don't do abortions that way, anyways. Like mm-hmm. you cannot—they don't cut you open and take right. it out. Like it's all done. Um, differently so yeah I think that was more I think that was less of a 
political choice or something like that, more just the medical terminology, because Mm -hmm. medically it is much, much closer to a cesarean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that this was like the most like this was anti-abortion propaganda, but I do think that there's like at least a hint of that in there. Okay. Yeah. Like I remember seeing it being like, oh shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're having a I cheered Jesus. for. <laughs> There's like a literal Jesus movie about creation of life, and the woman finally gets pregnant to fulfill her destiny, and now she's gonna slice it out in a very gory way. Let's be real. What's I loved it. Like, when, she, when she crawled in there and she cut that thing out, I was like, "Yes, yeah." She's like, "Get out of me!" And you're like, "Yeah." So you have some agency. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, "There is something." This movie's saying something about that, um, for sure. And then, yeah, yeah. Yes, and I don't I, know. There's a lot I, there. <laughs> I feel like there's this idea too that you have a role of either you're a giver or a taker. And I think one of the things that comes up in the movie is when Vickers says to her father, like, a king has his reign, then he dies, and then we move on. And there's this idea that we all serve a purpose or we all, once we've served our purpose, that it's time for us to move on. Um I don't buy that idea. And I think it also ties into what David had said about wanting to watch our parents die. I think there's this idea that as you grow and as you mature, your sense of empathy grows or it should grow as well. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it doesn't do that. So what you're able to do is not only take like, whether it be in religion, whether it be in a job, whether it be with family, whether it be in community, that those things no longer serve the purpose of only giving to you, but you also become a contributing member of it as well. Um, and that you're, it's not just as active. There's more to contribution than just creating a new life or creating something, but there's a myriad of ways that you give back to the people that you love or the people that you care about. Well, it's guidance. It's, it's right. parenting. I mean, like really this whole movie is one giant be a good parent lesson. Mm-hmm. Because if Wayland had been a half-decent parent to Vickers, she might not have turned out the way she did. If he had actually shown kindness and love to David, he might not have ended up doing the things he did. Mm-hmm. Um, if the the engineers had stuck around and maybe, you know, instead of just being like, oh, you killed our Christ figure, we out. Instead, if they had sort of stuck around and been like, no, no, this is why mm-hmm. you don't do that. And they had held our hands a little, maybe we wouldn't have ended up the way we did. I feel yeah. like there's this is a big story about um, absent parents as well. And that's why David wants to see his parent dead is because his parent has been so, so awful to him. Yeah. Well, that's also kind of sparking. Yeah. That's also kind of sparking thought to me about the like mentions of um, Darwinism. Mm -hmm. So like, it seems like they're saying the accepted um, theory is Darwinism. And like a lot of us always think like, okay, survival of the fittest but it's really about, um, I mean, this is a whole other philosophy of biology conversation, but you brought me here. So there's a whole <laughs> conversation to be had about the selfish gene mm-hmm. and how like, we always talk about like, what are animals doing when they do altruistic things or when they sacrifice themselves? What are they doing? You know, and we could get into like whole, like, you know, the meerkat, why is there a meerkat that goes out and potentially sacrifices himself? That wouldn't, why would that be evolutionary? evolutionarily programmed into a meerkat to sacrifice themselves because that would not be survival of the fittest. Well, it's like, well, no, it's really a selfish gene because by doing things like that, they're ensuring that their children will live on. So animals aren't necessarily programmed to live themselves. We're programmed to procreate and protect our genetic material. It's kind of that theory that gets lost sometimes. And I think that's really explored here, especially when we're talking about the parents is it's much more about letting your 
the next round of you inherit it. So it's like mm -hmm. the engineers aren't necessarily protecting themselves. They're trying to protect their own genetic material and like humans kind of killed them, whatever. And I think that that's kind of where we hear, like, I think that's an extension of the parent argument is that the bad parents are the ones that aren't looking out of the best in, for the best interest of the survival of their children. Does right. that they're looking yeah. out for themselves like they had yeah. for selfish reasons and now they're looking out for themselves that's really the big thing like mm -hmm. it comes back to the whole why do you create it's all about yeah. that like the, the whole reason that Waylon created I mean the, you know he had Vickers because he wanted his genes to go on and then he you know created David because he wanted his ideas to go on and it right. was all a continuation of that idea of immortality he didn't want them to be their own people he wanted them to be the next step of him yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said. I think that's, that's really perfect right there in terms of like, there's this idea that from the moment we give birth to our children, our legacy is set at that point, that whatever we do going forward is going to be cemented in our children and our children do become, although they go on to become autonomous, um, you know, as a, as a counselor and practitioner of mental health, when I counsel children and I wonder, how do they get this way? It's usually a very brief conversation with the parent that kind of opens my eyes up at that point. And we see how we kind of shape and we mold the next generation. Like if you have a child that suffers from very bad anxiety or has maybe some oppositional defiance disorder, it's usually cleared up very quickly after you speak to one of the parents why they have it because you see it in the parent's behavior. That at, that, at a young age, child becomes a very much a mirror mirror image of the parent or the environment that they grow up in. And I think one of the beauties of this movie is you see a David who does go on to become very villainous as the series progresses. You see someone who is finding himself and finding his own autonomy for all the good and the bad that is. Oh, it can lead to some very questionable decision-making on David's part. And there's a cheekiness to him. Um, the scene between him and Shaw where he lets her know that she's pregnant, mm -hmm. he sees it as a cosmic joke. Right. And not an intrusion and not a violation of her, but he almost sees it as like, look at what your gods can do to you at this mm -hmm. point. Look how little you mean to them overall. Right. Well, it's that big, it's that Lucifer thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's really like, I just was going back through the show notes and um, there was an Esquire interview where he, where Ridley talked about the only guy in Paradise Lost having a good time is that son of a bitch, Dark Angel. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it that's David. Like David is the only one having a good time at all in this movie because, well, other than you know Vickers and Idris Elba mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, <laughs> David's Which, like one, weird, but yeah, so great. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I loved it, but you're just like why? But okay. It's like, why? But you know what? If we're all going to die, at least get some. Why? But good for mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, yeah. but... Vickers and if we're Charlize Theron and Idris Elba. Right? Oh, I mean. Oh. But David's just, yeah, David's just, he's the devil. He's the character that questions everything. And mm -hmm. he is, like you said, he's chaotic neutral. He is chaos incarnate. Mm -hmm. mm. There's also this idea with him. He is absolutely flummoxed that anyone would want to meet their makers because yeah. he spent his whole life around his makers and he's yeah. not impressed. No. So he's he just pushes like, the whole idea that it's going to be disappointing and hurt right. your feelings. Which, yeah. 
It's like, never meet, it's like never meet your heroes. It's yeah. that exact same sort of thing. He's like, it's like he's basically grown up with his, the person he thought was his hero. And he's like, no, you really don't want this, you guys. Like mm-hmm. this, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to be bad for you. I yeah. promise. Yeah. Yeah. He's really like pushing that the whole time being like, it's going to hurt your feelings when you mm-hmm. see them and they kind of suck. And that's kind of exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, which is kind of like when you first, you know, when you grow up, like if you have a decent relationship with your parents and then that first time when you're like a teenager in your early 20s and you realize your parents are just people, yeah. it's that same sort of thing where you're like, oh, wait, oh, they're damn. screwed up just like mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. yeah. The first time you know something more, like you know more about something than your parents is like a very shocking yeah. thing. Yeah. I could say that like as a parent, because we have like one girl and the when she starts growing away from you like she just turned 10 and like the first time that she doesn't want you to like read to her her good night story after mm-hmm. doing it every time every night for like nine years um yeah. and the first like you know now that we are you know going out again and, and seeing the world a little bit like when we went to the beach yesterday we we're like all right what friend do you want to bring because we knew that like just going right. with mom and dad wasn't going to be good enough anymore. Like she Aww. doesn't want to be necessarily be a part of this. Like we put up a tent in the backyard and she wanted us like, do you want mom and dad to sleep with you? And she's like, Nope. Like, Nope. I got oh. this by myself. You're like, mm-hmm. are you sure? You know? So it's a little bit heartbreaking, but it's also kind of what you want to see happen. Like you definitely, you're very proud of that person at that point for becoming their own, you know, little, Right. Well, you want oh, you want overclamped. Sorry. <laughs> well, you want you want your kids, and I guess um, you know, in Wayland's case, your creations. Mm-hmm. You should want them to grow and become independent and be their mm-hmm. own person. And Wayland doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thus the vice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think it also tries. I don't know if it tries and fails, or if it's just not fully developed, or I didn't read it correctly. I do think there's something that gets a little messy in between like deciding if your creator is your creator or your parent and like differentiating between those two because the difference between Vickers as an extension of Wayland is that, you know, that's her bio, like that's her parent mm-hmm. as where David was created. And it's like humanity mm-hmm. is the engineer's creation. Mm-hmm but um it's not the same as like the parent but then Mm. it gets a little messy when you're talking about shaw in the i guess the neomorph because it's like well she created something new is she the parent or the creator like there's Mm -hmm. like something there that i'm not fully david would be the creator i think that's how i always viewed it is that david's the creator that's what i figured too Mm -hmm. i think that's where some of his I think that's some where some of his resentment for people comes from because uh, that line, that try harder line, right. uh, th- that didn't come from Wayland. I mean, that, uh, going back to that Fassbender interview, he said that that line is specifically there for David to upset Vickers on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like right. that was his, his mission. He knew exactly what would cut through her, to her and upset her. And I think that he's angry at the fact that he has a creator, but he doesn't have a parent. And I think that's where a lot of his like vengeful kind of like manipulation comes from is Mm -hmm. that kind of resentment and that kind of, you know, anger towards that. Totally. And like Vickers and David are jealous of each other because neither of them have what they want or neither of them have the complete thing from there, Mm -hmm. from Wayland in a way. I have a very important question. Why can't Captain Vickers run sideways? 
those. I, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have a theory. Mm-hmm. Actually, two theories. Theory one is very simple, and that when you're scared, you're sometimes a, just a dumb dumb. Yeah. Um, people do stupid things, especially when they're afraid. My other theory is is that because she is, she's never experienced real danger. She's never mm-hmm. been out in the field. She's a scientist. She or not a scientist, but she's she's a corporate mm-hmm. head. She's always been for money. And so to me, it's just a matter of like basic common sense is something that she never really learned because mm-hmm. she never had to. Yeah. See, I, I always saw it as arrogance because huh. her whole persona is that she's, I think that she thinks that she is better than everyone mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. ship. And I feel like she has this arrogance of, well, you know, I can do whatever I want. I could run away from this. I can make it. You know, and and I think that that backfires. But also, I I agree a hundred percent with what you just said about sometimes when you're scared, you do dumb things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was thirteen, I was running away from a bully, and there was a little wall I could have jumped off, like jumped over to get out of the way. And instead, out of fear, I ran straight into barbed wire, and it cut my thigh. Oh, like no. it's when you're caught in the moment, like you know what I mean, like like a mm-hmm. real danger. You're not really thinking of the exact thing to do. I, I've never seen that as a plot hole that so many people like to pick apart. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, and I'm the type of person who would. It's just so, so dumb. It's, it's just... so dumb that I'm also like, oh, God, because anytime you're like, oh, I love Prometheus. It's so good. The first things people say, and I never ended up saying this early, but the first two things anytime you're like oh prometheus is so great they're like vickers runs in straight lines for Mm -hmm. no reason and the technology is more advanced and i'm like okay i guess the Mm -hmm. movie sucks like that's that in hook he runs straight away from the clock falling on him too so i don't don't know why that's like that's literally a movie trope like the whole cinema sins reductive way Mm -hmm. of criticism that's really yeah. all it is, is going, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, instead of pointing out what's right, because right. the themes are more important than if she runs straight or runs sideways. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter in the end. And it's it like, really I doesn't. am nitpicky, but at the end of the day, they needed her to get hit with something. To, Vic- like, to Vicar's credit, she does make the same decision as Ripley does in the first. And I think when you watch this movie, it, it completely parallels the first Alien Totally. Uh, right down from the right down to the end of the film where you have Shaw signing off and leaving her final like her her final yeah, the last survivor of the, the last survivor of the Prometheus yeah. it's, it's it's such a parallel in so many ways but you have Vickers make the same in the moment decision that Ripley had to make saying hey we have someone who's very sick mm-hmm. trying to get on this ship and she takes it a step further than Ripley and says, and doesn't allow herself to get overruled at that point. Like she gets out there with the the flamethrower and Mm -hmm. torches him. And I think that if like Holloway had not separated himself from Yannick and from Shaw, she would have torched all three of them without hesitation. And it's the right right decision. Like I don't quite, I know that it's a cold decision to make, but you have to think of the greater good. Like she made the right decision in that moment. Like for as much as, and I know Theron describes the character as like an ice queen, you know, she's the one that, like you had said, Lindsay, she is like the human villain of the, of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that she's not, that there aren't decisions she makes that are for the, the betterment of everybody. True. And like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I like the idea. I do think it's just as simple as she's scared 
I like what you said about how um, she's not usually in the field. And, like, she messed up. She made a mistake. Like, that's just always kind of yeah. what I viewed it. Like, I like, remember, like, the Darwin Awards exists for a reason, y'all. Like, this oh is real. Like, people do dumb things. People die in incredibly stupid ways mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, and, like, we even have that scene of her showing off her little apartment where she's like, I need a safety net. I don't go outside and, like, mm -hmm. all of that. So yeah. I do like your point, Danny, that you were saying, like, yeah. um, she doesn't go out very much. She's, like, not super – yeah, that's kind of always what I view. That ends – yeah. The, the same the same people that usually complain about that are the people that are obsessed with Six Feet Under, which, I mean, I agree, it's an amazing show, but there's an episode of Six Feet Under where a guy gets ran over by his own car. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, it's like dumb things happen, you know? Yeah. I was just like, she ran in a dumb way. I also just like very, very quickly with, has everyone gotten their points in about the running thing? Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Really quickly, because when we were talking about the technology thing, I really, really loved your idea that it was like, well, yeah, because an Astromo is like a shitty ship sent for a dumb mm -hmm. mission. I love that. But I also think that like focusing on the newer technology thing is so silly because I remember when they made the new Star Trek movies and it's, I always call it like the Star Trek problem now when people talk about the new technology in a prequel. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing to be obsessed with because movies really have to struggle to balance new tech because it's a new movie and matching up with old tech. So if Prometheus came out and the technology looked like the tech from Alien, you would be like, what are they doing here? Like they right. can't do that. And I, the reason why I call it the Star Trek uh, problem is it's exactly what happened with communicators. Like Star Trek communicators have no screen. You don't know how they work. They just open them up and talk to each other and then they close them and they're done talking to each other. Mm -hmm. They don't really make a lot of sense and they look like old bad flip phones that don't have a screen or numbers or anything on them. When they and made the new Star Trek movie, they had to find a way to make the technology look real and believable in a world where we have smartphones right. and that's how we talk to each other. But they couldn't make you, make you have anything more advanced than a communicator because that would be absurd to have newer technology. And that was something that they really struggled with when they were trying to create the universe in the new Star Trek movies because they happened earlier, yep. but they have to work now. And so I always think that like, that's something that's really cool to hear how movies try to reconcile that. And like, again, I, the Star Trek communicator thing is such a good example of it. Well, and so I just a, think it's like a weird argument to make to be like, but the technology's newer. It's like, okay, well, I guess the movie sucks. Like, what? Of course there's it is. A, there's a great example within the Star Trek TV show. Um, I've been rewatching DS9, and okay. there's, a, there's an episode where Dax and Kira um, have to fly this old Bajoran ship, okay. and it is just the most rundown, janky thing. They have to, like, smack it to get it going. Like, big Millennium Falcon it. vibes. Yeah. But then there's, but then, you know, they have the DS9 with perfect replicators and hollow decks and all that right there like it is possible for crazy incredible technology and not so great technology to exist within the same universe like so I, true i feel like that's the biggest thing is like you know to y'all's point about it him wayland having money like yeah this is the high end this is this is the people who have all the money who can afford all the technology whereas something like the nostromo is sort of the like the bargain bin version right they're going to give right. the nostromo crew the bare necessities while they're going to keep all of the luxurious items to themselves at that point it's yeah. not gonna, it's 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 you know, I am not a believer in trickle-down economics. I think that people that people that 
obtain wealth only seek to obtain more wealth mm-hmm. right. not to better anyone else of well and, and almost nobody on nobody in prometheus is is blue collar there's hardly any blue collar folks on that ship like yeah they're the all ship, to be like fancy scientists they're all, yeah i mean pretty much our only two blue collar people are going to be the captain who we kind of get the whole hint that he's blue collar because he gets out of his thing and starts setting up a christmas tree we're like right. oh okay he's one of us right. and then maybe like the one security guy but pretty much everybody else is a scientist or is a corporate head or they're all people who have a lot of education and maybe have more money i mean they can they can just leave and go on this expedition i mean a lot of people who have to you know have money for their families or whatever they couldn't leave they couldn't take the time well, I just figured it was like, it's funded. Like, it's just as simple as that. It's funded. And that's, that's where they're all there. But then, yeah, aside from that, like, very great realistic argument, like, there's just, on the tech, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, um, like, there's two, there, the ways to evaluate logic in an expanded, in a fake universe, let's say, is universal logic. So it's not like, oh, so what? People can just bite people because they're vampires. That's not the part that you question, but are the vampires consistent throughout? So I believe this character that you created, but is is the way they behave consistent? And I think that that can apply to technology and sci-fi in such a way that it's like, okay, what technology do they not, do they have and do they not have? And so if you went back in time and you change around like tube screens to flat screens, that doesn't change the logic for me. Like you're just making it look nice. But if right. in if it turned out that they could teleport in Prometheus, I'd be like, well, why weren't they teleporting an alien? Yep. That's something that you can give shit to. Why would they be able to teleport in the past, but they can't teleport now? Because that's different, actual different technology that would change the story, that would change the function of what they can and can't do. But something like changing a communicator screen who cares? Like, that's just aesthetic so that when you see a movie in 2020, you're not like, why does this movie that takes place in 2023 look like it was made in 1965? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. So like, it's not messing with the logic to change how their mapping technology works because we knew they had mapping technology. None of that changes the logic of the alien universe. It's Mm -hmm. only if like, they suddenly could do something that they couldn't do before. So if like, all of a sudden they could beam people down, I'd be like, okay, that's not the tech that exists in the universe in the future. That makes no sense. But like the helmet light is a different color. I don't see why that matters. Well, and I, I think the same kinds of folk, like if you get bothered by those kinds of hangups, it's the same kind of folks that like can watch Lord of the Rings and be like, well, why didn't Gandalf just fly on an eagle to Mount Doom? Like, right. it, because then the movie would be 20 minutes long. But <laughs> like sometimes storytelling isn't, reality like you just have to go with it suspension of disbelief is so important yeah yeah i'm just like i'm a i'm very obsessed with the idea of like universal logic so i don't care i'm not going to be like it's impossible to teleport that's not the thing but does teleportation work the same and every time you use it in your universe cool if it doesn't Mm -hmm. then i'm going to pick it apart and i don't think that like something like the technology looking a little bit more high tech they didn't have higher tech Like, it looked nicer and newer, but they weren't capable of anything that the Nostromo wasn't capable of. Right. Is my... Excellent. Nope, that that. makes a ton of sense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing to balance overall, but I think as long as, like you said, if you can maintain, like, an internal consistency and make sure that it still would exist within that same universe, it's about the most you can ask for. Yeah. Especially when there's, like, 30-plus years apart between two movies. 
Right. Yeah, like imagine they had green, black tube screens with green typeface on it. You would hate that even more, but like yeah. go off everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I want to conclude with this. What do you feel is the overall kind of legacy and impact of Prometheus so, and how it relates to the, the Alien series? A lot of times when you get sequels way down the road, they shouldn't tarnish the original. I mean, I, I could still watch, you know, I can still watch the original Halloween knowing that Halloween Resurrection exists, even though I don't, you know, I wish it didn't. But I mean, I remember, I remember being 15 when Halloween six came out. And for some weird reason, I couldn't watch the original Halloween for like a week. Cause I was like, really, that is the explanation for everything. Mm-hmm. Until I had to realize that I have to distance myself from this kind of ex- extended kind of, you know, uh, explaining of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Prometheus, it's kind of the opposite for me. After seeing Prometheus and watching it so many times, and like I said, it's one of my favorite, favorite movies, uh, I appreciate Alien even more. I appreciate the entire series even more because of the very heady approach that Prometheus took and the, the, the philosophical statements and questions that it raised. Like, it, it's helped me. Its impact, I think, for me, is it's made the series even that much better. Yeah, Prometheus, like, Prometheus and Alien 3, like I said, are my two favorites, um, and so Prometheus made the whole Alien universe just so much more rich for me, um, because it provided a little bit more, it, the questions, you know, about the androids, and about the search for our maker, and about where we all come from, and about, like, what the aliens are, and the my view of the xenomorphs has just always been that they are chaos because life is chaos. Mm-hmm. And so getting into sort of the more theological or philosophical aspects of that was really, really cool and tied it back to, you know, some of the other Ridley Scott stuff that got me into science fiction in the first place, like Blade Runner, because I do feel like David is a spiritual successor to Roy Batty in a big way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love Prometheus. I think it's kind of a bummer that more people weren't willing to get on its wavelength because they wanted an alien movie. And then the overcorrection in Covenant didn't make anybody happy because the folks who liked Prometheus were like, wait, where was that? What, what, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And the folks who wanted an alien movie are like, okay, yeah, we like some of the alien stuff, but why do we have an hour of, uh, you know, Michael Fassbender talking to himself about fingering? So... <laughs> It, it's, that should have been two hours, really. It should have. Well, I could watch. Fair. I could watch a whole TV series of just David and Michael. The show. The serialized. The serialized episodic <laughs> television. Two See, rooms. I like to pretend. I like to pretend that uh, shame is really just David getting his groove on. <laughs> well, if you can just make every so so David's Magneto too, like you could actually just every Fassbender character is a different version of David. Okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Really expanding on what everybody said before, yeah. Like, I think that what Prometheus did was it set us up for a new story where I was expecting it was going to be two prequels or two, you know, a duology, is that how you say it? Um, Mm -hmm. Of um, a, whether you can it as a prequel or like a a pre-existing spinoff that's just going to tell us a little bit more about that universe and maybe give us hints as to what the xenomorph is in Alien. And that's really what I expected from it. Um, and wanted from it. I think it's unfortunate legacy is that it kind of showed us that sometimes those things don't work for everyone and then where that can go. So I think it is a bummer that Prometheus didn't hit the way um, it hit 
for us, for everyone, because I wanted Prometheus to tell this story and everyone else kind of want, or I should say most people wanted the alien movie and they didn't get what they wanted is where I was like, yes, sci-fi, philosophical ideas, and then catch up to alien. Like all I wanted was Covenant to just take the ship. I wanted it as simple as take the ship that Shaw takes and landed on LV-426. That's all I needed to see in Covenant, something as simple as the crew from the Prometheus takes what they found, they leave it on LV-426, and then they die, and then Wayland gets just enough information and sends an Astromo out there, and all we needed was just, like, that to happen, and then just, I didn't even need Ripley back, I needed a shot of them prepping the Nostromo for the trip. I needed a shot of the Nostromo flying by at the end, at the credits. Like, that's all that I wanted. And I think that could have been the legacy, and it's not. And what it really is now is that we're living in a world where um, it really made me so aware, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but so aware of the financial considerations behind the art of movie making. And it made me so aware of things like that we are still in 2020 reading and hearing about Ridley considering making Alien 3 or the new Alien installment and uh, will Ripley return for the sixth Alien and like, you know, all these different names for it and where it falls in continuity and stuff and that we're in that circumstance now really sucks because it could have been just like such a simple story. Like it could have like asked a bunch of questions about the universe and quickly answered them. And so the way it feels for me is just like something that started that's never going to get finished. Yeah. And like, that's kind of how I feel about Prometheus is that it started something. And in my mind, like, I just was like, when I, like I posted on Twitter the other day, I literally just wrote, let me make the next alien movie. Trust me. I got it. I need it from the point of like, it will take me five minutes. I just want to be like, Hey, um, really quickly, just get the ship to LV 426 and then just wrap it up. It's like, I was like, you can be a quick 20 minute meeting. Me and Lindelof could just sit down talk about it really quick, hammer it out, and we'll wrap the series up, no problem. And then you can make Alien 56 taking place on whatever planet, whatever you want. But like, all we need is just like, finish what Prometheus started. And I want that so badly. And that's what Prometheus makes me feel. Every time I think about it, I'm like, just finish it. And in my mind, it's finished. Like I know where it's gonna go and it's over, but just, just give it to me, just finish it. That's what I want. It was so close doing that too. Typically when a prequel goes back and it explains all the mysteries of the earlier movies, it yeah. cheapens the impact of the original movie. Like, I don't need to know that people get the force because of midichlorians. Um, right, right. You know, it's, I just need to know that it's this mystical force. Like, that's what I like. I, I want to leave that to the imagination. And I think this is especially true when it comes to horror movies, because a lot of the discomfort and disquietude comes from the fear of the unknown. And there's not anything that's a greater unknown than where do we come from and where do we go after we leave this planet and leave this life. Mm -hmm. Prometheus is the rare prequel that can answer some of the questions that are raised by Alien, but also deepen those questions that are raised in Alien as well and provide a lot of new questions that are really fascinating and interesting to explore. Like I come away from Prometheus with a much richer, deeper appreciation and understanding of Alien, even though it doesn't answer every question and maybe raises more questions. I like the answers that it provides because it doesn't necessarily spell it out for me, A to B to C, but it it allows my imagination to still kind of connect some of those dots overall, wanting to explore some new things. 
more importantly, this is the first of the Alien sequels that really delivers on this expansive universe mm-hmm. that was hinted at when the Nostromo step off of their vessel and walk onto the terrain of LV-426 for the first time. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, Dan O'Bannon, and H.R. Geiger, Geiger all hint at something so much more epic in size, scale, and mystery than like, oh, it's a haunted house and a spaceship, which is really the kind of reductionist tagline that sometimes Alien gets hit with every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's really like people forget the first 30 minutes of this movie. Um, yeah. People Alien? forget that you see the space jockey in yeah. Alien. And I think like, that like no one thinks of that. People forget that. And it's such an iconic image and it's mm-hmm. used. It's to me, Aliens feels like a much smaller movie than Alien, even though it's like bigger, there's more explosives, there's more people, there's more aliens. Mm-hmm. But I never feel like I'm in anywhere but like a warehouse watching that movie. It feels so tiny to me overall in yeah. terms of like the scope of it. Alien 3, I love that movie, but it takes place in a prison, which mm-hmm. by its nature is going to feel very constrictive. And it features a cast of characters that are extremely difficult to separate from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to play a fun game, name the characters in Alien besides Ripley, name the characters in Aliens besides Ripley, then try to name like four characters that aren't Ripley in Alien 3. That's, Most I people couldn't do it. Charles Dance. Right. That's I'm like, the I don't actor. know. That's I'm the like, actor. <laughs> I know. Are they um, all just the, the same guys from Mad Max Fury Road? Um, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> Alien Resurrection takes place in a spaceship and is a really fun 90s science fiction horror movie. Mm-hmm. This is the first movie that, like, this universe feels so enormous after watching this movie. There are all these new threats. The engineers take over for the xenomorph as these kind of, not even villains, but these antagonists that you want to discover more about at that point. There are not just face huggers anymore, but all of these species that kind of are intertwined with the face huggers. Um, There is so much more rich material that could be mined from this movie. And it makes me feel, and I do like Covenant overall. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but it does hurt my heart a little bit to have them go to the engineer planet, which is the promise at the end of Prometheus, mm-hmm. dump a bunch of black goo on it, commit genocide. And then you have like your fourth movie where an alien xenomorph has to be shot out of a airlock at the end of the movie in order to get rid of the big bad. And isn't it also like in a flashback? Like, don't you not even, yes. I mean, yeah, like it, it happens in a flashback, which is like, wow, my God, they just breezed over this destruction of the engineers, which was like such a bummer. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I totally agree about the whole expansion. And I think it goes back to exactly what we were talking about at the top of the podcast is that we were saying, um, and uh, Danny, I keep calling you Danny. Do you go by Danielle or Danny? Either. Okay, it's just because your Twitter name's Danny, so I just feel like entitled to call you by your nickname, but yes, yes, might Danny's not be great. true. Okay. No, either either's fine. I use them completely interchangeably. In fact, I always joke that I, I, I'm like, Danielle's my serious name. So if I go from Danny to Danielle, then that means that I've brought the business. I always, oh God, this is not important at all. But I think that like certain names lend to that. And when people I don't know call me Linz, I'm like, who are you? And it really bothers me. So then I'm always conscious of it. So 
but yes, going back to exactly what we were talking about at the top and what Danny said about Solo, exactly. Like there's what Prometheus does is like what an effective prequel or a really great sequel does is it expands the world and makes it bigger. It's not just telling us stuff to fill in blanks. It's not just how did that dent get on the ship that we see five movies earlier but later? Who cares? Like, yeah, it's kind of funny and cute and kind of like an in-joke, but like telling us all of this stuff that we didn't need to know can really cheapen movies as where Prometheus doesn't cheapen Alien, it expands the world of Alien. And like, I think, yeah, like it's not just like cheapening by making a prequel of like how the Nostromo got there. It's not as simple as that. It's not how did Ripley get Jonesy. It's not... I don't know anything like that. It's very much. I don't know. I'm like trying to think of like what would be boring, but it, I don't know. Like ends the world the effectively. Yeah, I, I would like, watch a Jonesy movie. Like, I mean, I know. I don't. I'm like trying to think of. It's not like a spinoff of a character you like. It's not right. what made Ash kind. You know, how was he developed? I don't care. Like, it might be fun, but it would be like a show on Disney Plus that's four episodes. Like, I don't right. actually really care. It might be a fun thing to watch, but it's not going to be something I'm going to line up for. Right. Where Prometheus was an expansion of the universe it was something new it wasn't just prequel spinoff whatever mm-hmm. it's like here it was an effective version of what i want those no. things to be i don't want a boba fett show because i don't care the whole point of him that's exciting and fun and cool is that he exists for two minutes and then he dies and it's funny yeah. that we all became obsessed with him i don't want five movies about him i don't want that you can make them and like them if you want but like i don't want that to me that's not very good it's just like junk food because where prometheus is is the antithesis of that right prometheus is the movie that i reach for after i watch alien not aliens like this to me like because it Mm -hmm. gives me such a richer deeper understanding and appreciation for alien that this is the first thing i would pull not just because it is a gorgeous movie to watch it is just such a stunning visual movie to watch as well but to me it's such a perfect companion to the first alien movie well, Alien is a horror movie and Aliens is an action movie. Yes, like, totally. That's the big thing. And Prometheus is more of like an existential horror movie, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, um, yeah. 100%. So, so that's probably why Alien and, and Prometheus pair together so well. And, and Alien mm-hmm. 3, too, um, I think is very, you know, existential. I mean, that's, to mm-hmm. me, that's the greatest Ripley story mm-hmm. in Alien 3. So... I think that's like, that's my three right there. Alien and then Prometheus, then Alien 3. Watch them in that order. <laughs> Damn, okay. I Like, I love Aliens. And I'm t- you said at the beginning, uh, Michael, you're saying like that, you know, people who can't decide between Alien and Aliens, like I roll. And I was like, oh, I'm totally that person. I love them both, maybe equally. Well, and it's really gorgeous. hard for me to say which one I like better. That's, that's what people say, like, oh, I love all my children equally. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You like, don't. it's really hard. Oh. It's that- it's hard for me to say which one I like better because both of them are, it's the thing that I really love about those two movies and Prometheus included is that of all the genres that I love, simple, scary movies are my favorite and awesome uh, action sci-fi is also my favorite that has a little bit of philosophy in there, even better. So much like Terminator and Terminator 2, Mm-hmm. Alien and Aliens, it's hard for me to say which one's better because one of them is the simple version of it. That is one thing that I really love. And the other one is taking the same lore that I already mm-hmm. love and giving me a second thing yeah. that I really, really love. 
So and I just love them both. And I think yeah. Prometheus is the third thing. It's the philosophical and, existential sci-fi. So that, I love those three. I do not mean that as a slag on aliens. No, I think it doesn't hurt my feelings. Too, too often now when we ask, which do you like better when you choose one? The assumption now is like, well, why don't you like the other one? It's like, that's not right, what I'm true. saying. It's like, you know, I just have to pick one and that's what I'm doing right now. Um, just, yeah. So... All right, to, for our listeners, Danielle, if our listeners want to uh, hear more of you or read your work, what are you currently working on? And where can they find it right now? So the best way to keep up with me in general is just to follow me on Twitter um, at Danny Rat, D-A-N-I-R-A-T, because I post everything that I'm working on over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right now, I'm just kind of working on some small things behind the scenes. I don't have anything crazy big coming mm-hmm. out right now. Uh, this is actually the big thing I've been looking forward to. So thanks for listening. Woo! Excellent. And Lindsay, <laughs> how about yourself, my friend? Sure. Yeah, same. Definitely Twitter is the best place to find me. Um, it's Smash Travis, but it's spelled S-M-A-S-H-T-R-A-V-E-S. Uh, so look for me in the tags because it's hard to spell. Um, and yeah, things that I'm working on, uh, I just finished a piece that I'm pretty excited about but it, it anyway I think the intention of it's gonna accidentally change as the world changes but um on Archie Horror uh which will be in Grimm Magazine so I don't know if you guys read Grimm Ooh, Magazine but it's really cool. great and you should check it out and myself, Grimm is awesome yeah and uh myself and uh Andrew Roebuck um did a cool Archie Horror piece that is I think pretty exciting because it's about Archie and zombies and how that Anyway, I think that'll be really fun. Um, the Archie horror stuff is so much better than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. It's so Guys, good. It's so good. And yeah, basically our thesis uh, is that the zombies are an allegory for um, uh, like civil rights changes. Excellent. But yeah, so uh, which we finished right before um, this massive uh, BLM resurgence. So um I think it'll have a really new meeting by the time it comes out. But anyway, um, yeah. And let's see a few other things. I'm working on something uh, yet to be named, but you will find out soon uh, with respect to the uh, legal drama in the horror industry that I'm very excited about with respect to Friday the 13th and uh, with Clive Barker's newest um, case. So I'm excited about that. Nice. And yeah, the best place to see those things when they come out will be on my Twitter. Okay, so we'll definitely follow you over at Smash Travs. And how about yourself, Jerry? What's going on, my friend? Uh, I have quite a few, like, articles in the works. Uh, I don't know how many of them I could talk about. Uh, there's, I didn't get a chance to really go in deep with how I felt about uh, Andy Muschietti's It films. Uh, because, because Stephen King and his book uh, has meant a lot to me my entire life. Like, it helped me through fourth grade in many ways. And so uh, I, I currently writing an article for a site about basically what that book and what those movies really mean for me as far as uh, mean to me as far as uh, dealing with trauma with the backing of a really good support system, which I think is very crucial. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that's the thing I'm kind of focused on the most. I'm very good. So, very cool. So I have a new podcast coming out. Um, the first episode will be released July 9th um, with uh, Jen Adams from The Horror Virgin and Laura Unersall from The Losers Club. We are going to be releasing psychoanalysis on the consequences of um, 
Sound Podcast Network. And it's going to be, every episode will be exploring uh, mental health through the lens of horror movies overall. So we've recorded Yes. The, yes I know. I remain very excited. It's, um, <laughs> I'm really excited. We've recorded the first two shows and we are recording our episode on toxic relationships in Midsummer this week. Um, I have, oh my God. Okay. I have six pages of type notes so far. Um, is it on the theatrical or the director's cut? It's How's on the it theatrical what? and I okay. need to go. I oh man, that director's Midsummer cut's story. amazing. I oh saw Midsummer at the tail end of grad school when I was literally doing 90 hours a week between work and school and internships. And I walked out of the theater being like, I never want to watch this movie. It's brilliant. I don't want to watch someone have a nervous breakdown for two and a half hours ever again. Yep. Um, I <laughs> finished watching the movie, the theatrical again in preparation for the show and immediately was like, I bought this on um, iTunes. I know that I have the director's cut. Why can't I load it up right now? Like I immediately had a greater appreciation for that movie. So I'm really excited. Uh, the first two episodes are now edited. It's going to be July 9th will be the first day it comes out. Um, over here in our show, we have Alien Covenant coming out. We're going to have a one-off episode with Jerry. Who are the musical guests for The Lodge? Uh, for The Lodge, we are having Chris Dudley uh, from Under Oath and Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die. So, which are two of my favorite bands of yeah. all time. And Keith is one of the funniest people I've ever talked to in my life. So I'm excited. So we're going to keep it light and fluffy with The Lodge, which is such a... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> a sunshiny um, film. Yes. Um, that and... Uh, oh, were we talking about the, the alien documentary one? Absolutely. Why don't you, you can definitely talk. Let's talk about okay. that. Absolutely. Yeah. We're doing, we're also doing a one-off kind of to close the alien series uh, about the awesome making of documentary uh, on the series. And, and also uh, dangerous days, the making of blade runner, uh, the director of both of those Charles D. Lazerica is coming on the show to talk about, what goes into making these really extensive documentaries? Because Dangerous Days is my favorite documentary of he, all time. He also did the assembly cut for Alien 3, correct? Yeah, he did that. So He's done I'm, all of the making of, of like David Lynch's work too. So, so yeah. Wow. That was a, uh, Jerry secured us like, and Jerry keeps getting us these great behind-the-scene guests. So we're looking forward Good to that. for you guys, man. We this are, is great. Yeah. On that note, we are looking at putting together a Patreon um, for right. our listeners, all of these shows will and always will remain free, um, but it would be just a way for us to do little upgrades here or there. Like I've said to Jerry, if we make enough to like order a couple burritos a month and cover the cost of the show, I'm happy, but it would allow us to like maybe motivate us to do some of the one-off episodes that we just need to make time for. Like I think Jerry and I both want to basically do like a 400-hour retrospective on like our own personal histories with punk rock that's something i really want to do yeah but it's, you know we need to find a way to like how do we do that within the context of what we're doing right now and how do we motivate ourselves to do it so that is what we have coming up uh also ryan larson will be on to talk about cursed and that will be a premium episode with all proceeds going to black lives matter 
So we'll have more details on that. We just need to find a way to get our schedules to coordinate so we can sit down and spend a couple hours on Cursed, which, my God, Jerry, why did I make that one of the options for a movie? What yeah, was I, I don't thinking? know, man. I, I, don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. And I apologize to you in advance, Jerry. I definitely, I watched that with my 10-year-old and she was critiquing the um, way that movie was put together. She was like, none of this makes sense. And she's 10, so God love her. See, I I don't even want to release the Craven cut. I want to release that into the dumpster. Wow. (laughs) So, all right. So listeners, thank you so much once again for tuning in. Um, you can find us over at Pod and Pendulum on Twitter. You can find Jerry at Jerry is just okay, and me at Mike underscore Slunian, uh, where I tend to be very outspoken and don't know how to keep my mouth shut. And sometimes that bleeds over to the show's page too. Um, but thank you once again for listening. Um, if you can help spread the word by leaving us a review, that would be great. And next week we'll be back with the last movie in the alien series for now uh alien covenant and i don't know who our guest is for that yet so we may have to put out a little call for folks that want to join us for that thanks again and have a great week everyone